Fire Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it I know you can't get enough At home, at work It don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes You know what's up Hey, uh, Rising from the ashes Yo, what's Yo. up everybody? Welcome to Rising From the motherfucking Tartarian ashes. ashes Oh, you gotta man. This is the last Tartaria episode For the month Ari Asulin. Ari. He breaks down some Fomenko. Fomenko. And we get into Russian Jesus. Russian Jesus. Man, why are you rushing me, Jesus? <laughs> and we basically just ask him a bunch of questions regarding Tartaria to try to get some conclusions on the subject. It's fast paced, y'all. Yeah, so um, super interesting stuff. Harry, giant Jesus from Russia, uh, Adonai, and it says that the gods Adonis. that God's name in the Bible is Adonai, uh, according to Gary Wayne when we had him on, and so it's uh, super interesting that this could actually be jesus i don't know maybe everything is jesus you know <laughs> lamp i was is in jesus. uh legit Table bat is jesus i was in Lebit. Le oh, fuck i was in legit bat chats on telegram he was, he was very lit in the legit bat chats <laughs> and i was talking on there and dude i was looking up pictures for jesus because one person was saying like oh he's not a Jew or whatever. And I was like, no, he's black, man. Jesus, what do you mean Jesus is not black? He's totally black. And then, so I was looking up pictures and I found black Jesus. I found Chinese Jesus. I found gangster Jesus. I found Batman Jesus. I found <laughs> Jewish Jesus, Caucasian Jesus, every kind of Jesus you could think of. What about of. the Kool-Aid Jesus? Hey, Kool-Aid Jesus. I bet you there is one. He better be fucking grape Kool-Aid, though. God damn it. <laughs> because that's my favorite flavor. Oh, man. No, you know, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, like I would imagine that if there was, if we're living, you know, in these times and, you know, uh, col uh, colonies and communities are getting wiped out left and right, and they're trying to push one mainstream religion, they're going to try to bring it to every culture. So yeah. you're going to have all, you know, cultures all over the world. Uh, claiming that you know Jesus, uh, you know, is is there Jesus? So that's gonna uh, simulate like into that region, you know, potentially. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, pretty much every land has some type of claim to some Jesus figure or a belief in some type of Jesus, and they reconstruct it in their own image. So like it's almost like God is created in your image. So whatever image you are, you make him be also. 
which is fine and dandy as long as you realize that's what's going on and and you don't like just straight up put all your energy into believing that you know i i mean if it makes you happy then do it and if it makes you a good person do it but i mean at the same time realize there's more there than meets the eye uh i was going to read an article about Ashura, and i might still but i did come across since we're on the topic of jesus a bbc document that proves jesus was a buddhist monk named isa who spent 16 years in india and tibet which sounds fascinating to me so that is going to be my part in uh r f t t a a news news you can trust Angel dust. How about pixie dust? What's on your mind? Christ, Christ, love Christ. I once saw Jesus with light pouring out of his third eye in the most eternal joy. What do you think about extraterrestrial energy? I've I've seen an extraterrestrial appear in front of me when uh, I was looking into someone's eyes. It was geometrical in shape. And it seemed to be all light. How can we get that light to come to us? Just eye gaze. Oh, it just exited. Have you? Sorry, that was an excerpt from All Gas, No Breaks. Are you familiar with that? That dude? No, no, I'm not. Uh, he was at the Conscious Life Expo, uh, and he was uh, talking to somebody. And then he basically, it just reminded me when we were just talking just now. Um, he uh, uh that was talking to this guy and he just basically, you know, he had, he had his finding Jesus moment, uh, you know, and ass on acid in the mirror yeah. where he realized that he was Jesus. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We've heard this before. And then, um, then also, uh, that everybody is Jesus basically. Yeah. I, so and everybody is Jesus. Uh, I was listening to, uh, the deep share and Andy has been doing, uh some episodes called the witness it's a four-part series he just put out the first two so far so by the time this uh comes out the other one should be out so uh, uh but anyways when they're talking uh in part two they're talking about drugs and what people see when they're on drugs and everything and aliens and all these different things and like how does that fit into religion and all these different things? And, and one, one person was saying, you know, like whatever it is that you grow up with and know about whatever that knowledge is that you see all the time or whatever it is you're bombarded with in television and movies. The reason why people see like the gray aliens is slightly different everywhere is because that's the images that are portrayed in their head. So when they see something that's similar to that, they're automatically going to expect or think or compare it to something that they know. And so that would be an alien. I think the same is true in a way for Jesus is if somebody sees an image of something similar to what they believe as Jesus, then they automatically think that's Jesus also. And who knows what it could be. It could be just an ancient ancestor in your memory or your brain or some something from uh, 
whatever inside you who knows like your pineal gland could just be acting up and secreting some dmt at the time or maybe you know some people suffer head trauma and have these uh trippy things uh navier almost drowned and she said she got these new found psychic abilities so something's happening in your brain when you're you're having these awarenesses and you know there's stories of people getting hit by lightning and then all of a sudden can do math fucking really good or remember words super good like it triggers like a part of your brain and so i think sometimes you know trauma is also involved in some of these things and uh sometimes just a traumatic experience maybe somebody close to you dies or something like that and you i think your brain is secreting or your pineal gland is secreting this to help as like a coping, uh, I was going to say like copamine as like a coping mechanism. So it's like pushing out this dopamine and then you're fucking getting high and you're having visualization, vis, visualizations of these things. So I think that all kind of plays a part into this idea, but I do have this Isa thing that I wanted to read because it's interesting because it makes Jesus more of a physical figure uh, than this uh, non-physical figure. And uh, it's uh, from BBC um, or actually it's from the Daily Informer and it says BBC doc proves Jesus was a Buddhist monk named Isa who spent 16 years plus in India and Tibet by admin uh, published October 18th, 2017. So it says the life story of the most famous person who has ever lived is in fact filled with a mysterious gaping hole (laughs) from the age of 13 to 29. There is no biblical Western or middle Eastern record of Jesus's whereabouts or activities in Palestine. Known as the Lost Years, this gaping hole remained a mystery until one explorer's remarkable discovery in 1887. In the late 19th century, a Russian doctor named Nicholas Notovich traveled extensively throughout India, Tibet, and Afghanistan. He chronicled his, his experiences and discoveries in his 1894 book, The Unknown Life of Christ. At one point during his voyage, Notovich broke his leg in 18. 18- 87 and recuperated at the Tibetan Buddhist monastery of Hemis in the city of Leh at the very top of India. It was here where monks showed Notovich two large yellowed volumes of a document written in Tibetan entitled The Life of Saint Isa. During his time in the monastery, Notovich translated the document document which tells the true story of a child named Jesus, i.e. Isa, son of God. Born in the first century to a poor family in Israel, Jesus was referred to as the son of God by the Vedic scholars who tutored, tutored him in the sacred Buddhist text from the age of 13 to 29. Notovich translated 200 of the 224 verses from the document, during his time at a monastery in 1887, one lama explained to Notovich the full scope and extreme level of enlightenment that Jesus has reached. 
Isa is a great prophet, one of the first after the 22 Buddhas, the Lama tells Notovich. He is greater than any one of all the Dalai Lamas, for he constitutes part of the spirituality of our Lord. It is he who has enlightened you, who has brought back within the pale of religion the souls of the frivolous, and who has allowed each human being to distinguish between good and evil. His name and his acts are recorded in our sacred writings, and in the reading of this wonder, wondrous existence, passed in the midst of erring and wayward people, we weep at the horrible sin of the pagans who, after having tortured him, put him to death. Isn't that fascinating? The discovery of Jesus' time in India lines up perfectly with the lost years of Jesus, as well as well as with the degree of significance of his birth in the Middle East. When a great Buddhist or holy man, i.e. Lama, dies, wise men consult the stars and other omens and set off, often on extraordinary long journeys, to find the infant who is the reincarnation of the Lama. When the child is old enough, he is taken away from his parents and educated in the Buddhist faith. Experts speculate that this is the foundational origin of the story of the three wise men, and it is now believed Jesus was taken to India thir at 13 and taught as a Buddhist. At the time, Buddhism was already a 500-year-old religion, and Christianity, of course, had not even begun. Jesus is said to have visited our land and Kashmir to study Buddhism. Inspired by the laws and wisdom of Buddha, a senior lama of the Hemis Monastery told the INS news agency, the head of the Drukpa Buddhist sect, Gualyang Drukpa, who heads the Hemis Monastery, also confirms the story. The 224 verses have since been documented by others, including Russian philosopher and scientist Nicholas Rorich, who in 1952 recorded accounts of Jesus' time at the monastery. Jesus passed his time in several ancient cities of India, such as Benares or Varanasi. Everyone loved him because Isa dwelt in peace with the Vaishya Vashas and Shudras whom he instructed and helped, writes Rorick. So the article goes on to say more, but um, that's kind of the bulk of that part is they have proof in India that Judas, that Judas, that Jesus, damn it, that <laughs> Jesus was there Jesus. and he uh, studied Buddhism Ironically, or not ironically, in Bach Saga, it talks about how Jesus came from the Acer and was fascinated with Buddha and went to go live and study Buddhism. So I definitely have heard, I've heard that too from other people or sources is that during, you know, his upbringing, he went and got spiritual teachings from all over yeah. the world, like other cultures. So. I mean, yeah. I would, I would hope so. You know, I mean, if you're going to, you know, 
you're not going to be, you need to be cultured as much as you can and get as much education and information. If, if, you know, like if you're going to be walking around healing people, um, or not, or you're so woke to the word of God because he is in fact, your daddy that you don't need to go around other places and and do that. But I, I would imagine that, that out of respect for the, for, for, and for his mission that, that he would, if, uh, that was the case. Right. Well, that's what I would expect is that if he's all knowing and all, all powerful and the son of God and it's actually God's spirit within Jesus's body, then he he's already all knowing. And so why would he have to go study Buddhism? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, so it's just interesting. It more humanizes him than makes him this great God mystical that came from the sky and all that other shit. Uh, that's what I think bothers me the most about religion and stuff is it's always this mystical being. They never like make anything completely human. And that's kind of what I found fascinating about the box saga is that they humanize everything. Everything has a beginning and it's from humans. It's a human origin story. It's not a mystical mythical origin story well what it's within the earth and realm right not like right, a co- like a cosmic yeah because you know i mean who, who knows we we may have some powers that we were that have been suppressed from us so you know uh, fair which enough. can be mystical which can be mystical fair enough yeah. yes uh but that it's it's beautiful and and uh and you're right though i mean like you know obviously like there's it just there's a lot of really big fabrication and i think the bigger things are fabricated on a large scale on a large religion scale it kind of makes it seem like you must bow down to these these powers because they are they're so much bigger than our understanding you you feeble-minded peasant you could never understand (laughs) the ways of the lord how could you you're nothing you're just here you're swine you're dust on the floor of the earth you shall bow down to the smite of god obviously i am listening to god he's on the other end of my phone he tells me to kill you if you don't listen to me so do it (laughs) yeah i mean you know i i mean people know how i feel about it already but uh you know, I, I, I just tried to look for simpler, more explainable answers. And, and this seems to be a good, simple, explainable answer is that he was human. He came from somewhere. Uh, I don't know about maybe the immaculate conception part, but obviously he had a mother. Obviously he was fathered. Whether or not he was fathered by a god or whatever, who knows. Uh, maybe it seems similar to the Gilgamesh where he's fathered by a god to a human mother, so it makes him a half-god, which means he's uh, like a sub-deity. So, I mean, sure. I'll tell you what I think happened for real. Yeah. Okay, public bathrooms are disgusting, okay? Oh, my God, dude. And she happened to be are ovulating. You? She goes to the bathroom, sits on a rock, accidentally gets a little plant spermia up in there. Uh, <laughs> so it's immaculate conception, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, and also in, in mythologies, there's always stories of like gods coming to women as 
different animals like a swan or Ooh. something what like that. What if Odin did that, right? Odin Odin did that. Zeus Zeus came as a swan to uh to some chick, I forget her name. Persephone or something like that. Stop looking know. at me, Swan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I can't remember that her name, but yeah, it's just it, they're all interesting stories, and it always seems like God can't go actually have sex unless he disguises himself and seduces this woman. It's it's very interesting, and if you think about it it's kind of the same in the bible but angels came to mary and said that she was going to be born with this child and then she had the child and it was glorious and everything and <laughs> well okay also think about this it's where people will if believe god, in that but not atlantis so if god know. well that's going to segue <laughs> into my section here the news uh <laughs> Which is going to be great, uh, but if God, gods, when they have sex with uh, with uh, women, humans, they create fallen angels, right? Yes, and so well, no, the fallen angels have sex with the, the human fall, women. Oh, fallen angels. Okay, okay, and they create the deities, the the Nephilim deities, like all the Greek gods. And okay, so that completely erases what I was going to say. Don't let's edit this part out. I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, Please, no one ever listen to me again. But so in the beginning, uh, before you, uh, we started going, there was a good segue into this, like people having um, heavy experiences and then being able to have psychic abilities afterwards. Yeah. Right. This happened to one of the most famous um, psychics in the world that that we have. Um, and oh, yeah. He, and his name is Edward Edgar Casey, um, and Edgar Casey is amazing. He he I, he the guy I was talking or the interview we had earlier today. He brought up Edgar Casey for something completely random, and I was like, "Wow, that's crazy." It's we're you know he. And then there was this episode of the Higher Side Chats, and you know he, he's all over the place. He's super famous because he made sure. Um, that to all of, everything to document because he would black out, you know, when he was in these things. So I'm going to give a brief little history, just a quick, quick little sum up of that, and have a couple clips, um, about Edgar Casey, and um, and then we can, you know, debrief on that why it's fascinating and how it can tie to Tartaria. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the fact that this man was taken seriously by doctors at the time. Um, and then he had, you know, visions, um, psychic visions of Atlantis is incredibly fascinating. I don't think anybody would ever deny the fact that that's not fascinating. And if you do, then GTFO, RFTA, because Dan Anaki, Dan and Romy, homie Romy are here to stay. <laughs> Edgar Casey, 1877 to 1945. Edgar Casey was called the sleeping prophet because he induced himself into a trance state in order to give readings to those who inquired. Before his death in 1945, Casey had amounted thousands upon thousands of readings, covering a wide range of health, history, and future, and Atlantis. The Atlantis readings happened between 1924 and 1944. Up until this time, the pursuit of Atlantis had been all based on Pl Plato's tale, archaeology in the Aegean, and 
a lot of speculation. Casey's readings added an entire new light to the search for this lost civilization. While in his trance, he spoke of Atlantis as where man first developed civilization. It was a highly developed civilization with electromagnetic-powered flying machines, lasers, power crystals, and devices that we cannot even understand. The most prominent factor in Casey's predictions is the Tuawi Stone or the fire crystal, it was a source of rejuvenation of the Atlanteans' bodies and a power source for their technology. Casey's description of the six-sided cylindrical quartz and its abilities resembles a lot of the present-day laser beam. Using a type of ultraviolet, ultraviolet light energy power to it, Casey had also theorized that Atlantean civilizations migrated to Egypt and their knowledge of technology aided in the construction of the Great Pyramids. Where Plato's dialogues vaguely describe the whereabouts of Atlantis outside of the Pillars of Hercules, Casey predicted that evidence for Atlantis could be found as far east as Pyrenees and Morocco and as far west as the Yucatan in Mexico. Casey claimed that some significant proof of Atlantis would rise from the depths of its watery grave and make itself known to us in the year 1968. And in 1969, the discovery of the enigmatic stone formations beneath the ocean of Bimini in the Bahamas seemed to support Casey's prediction, although skeptics claimed that geomagnetic that geometric adjoined stone slabs are completely natural formations, believers suspect that the stones were once a part of the great Atlantean roadway or temple. According to Casey's readings, the size of Atlantis was equal to that of Europe. He saw visions of a continent which had gone through three major periods of division. The first two, about 1560, 15,600 BCE, when the mainland was divided into islands. The three main islands Casey named Poseidon, Og, and Arian. Also, unlike Plato's description, Casey's Atlantis was not perfect and harmonious. Like most societies vulnerable to corruption and abuse of power, Casey's readings blamed its eventual destruction on the misuse of those powers. Much as many today believe nuclear power and genetic cloning are the seed whose misuse will eventually bring us down, the survivors will retrogress into the Mesolithic barbarism. So that's um, kind of a, a brief overview there of uh, Casey's later readings, uh, his Atlantean readings. And then I'm going to play a little sound excerpt um, from Dr. Gregory Little, who is like this kind of funny guy. I mean, he's a great, he, he, he was a psychologist. He's a trained psychologist, but he yeah. just had a love for history. And he has actually made like really big archaeological findings, which I don't think he would ever plan on doing if, you know, being a psychologist. Ready? Ready. Here we go. Um, and sorry. So this excerpt is specifically kind of Casey's, uh, uh, um, the the breakdown Casey's readings breakdown of Atlantis in three different parts. What were you re- reading from just now? I was reading from um a site called academic.depow.edu. Okay, 
Yes. So here we go. That's the basic story. But Atlantis around 50,000 BC and throughout the New World and in other parts of the world, what happened according to the readings is that the world was overrun by these huge, massive herds of very dangerous creatures. And he talked about them, everything from giant sloths to the woolly mammoths, which we know were in enormous herds in the Americas, to even buffalo would fit into it, saber-toothed tigers, all of those things. And the world was still a dangerous place. And supposedly, there was this meeting held. The meeting was held in 50,000 B.C., and Casey says that people came from all over the world to this meeting, that the world was represented at the meeting at all the different regions, because Atlantis wasn't the entire world. There were other people living everywhere else. So they went to this meeting and they came up with a plan. And the plan was to confine these animals to specific areas, but also to destroy them and to use explosions to destroy the herds, to force them into certain areas, maybe force them over mountainsides, or just kill them. And the explosive was going to be a type of gas, probably it was methane gas. He mentioned specifically that the gas pockets were mainly in the Gulf of Mexico and the eastern coast of the United States around the Atlantic. Now, that's weird. When I read all that, I, when I read that years ago, I thought, oh, my God, that's just so bizarre. I just can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. It's beyond. I mean, it's just bizarre. And as we got into this research and we dug more and more, if you actually read geological research, you'll see that there are all along the Gulf Coast and in the Caribbean on both sides of Florida and up the eastern coast of America – there are these large holes in the ocean bed. And if you read about the research, these giant holes in the ocean bed, they've said, were initially giant methane pockets that burst 50 to 100,000 years ago. Hmm. They don't know the exact date, but 50,000 years ago. And all of that is relatively new research. Of course, none of that research was around when Casey came up with this. So, okay, okay, I scratch my head and say, that's interesting. There is some evidence of that. So I've just tried to give a bit of history of it. Let me just go through two more bits of the history, and then we'll get into where Atlantis was in the search for it. So sure. 50,000 BC, when they decided to do this, according to the Casey readings, in the islands, all those islands in the Caribbean, you know, the Bahamas is thousands of tiny islands. And if you go 50 miles east from roughly Miami and Fort Lauderdale, you will hit what is called the Little Bahama Bank. And then if you go a little further, you hit the Great Bahama Bank. And it's a big shallow area with thousands and thousands of islands that are above the surface, but the bank itself in most of those areas, in some areas, it's only a few feet deep, but it's generally no more than 30 or 40 feet deep anywhere. In fact, you really can't go across it in large boats because you'll ground yourself. There's just no way to do it. And in small boats that we used, we had a boat that had a one 
foot draft. And there were places that we couldn't go in the Great Bahama Bank because the water's only a foot deep and our propeller would go down a little more than a foot. So it was dangerous to do it. Anyway, Casey said that in 50,000 BC, when they initiated this plan and they ignited these underwater gas holes or these giant pockets of gas, that it caused massive earthquakes and explosions and it broke up the main islands of Atlantis and made five main islands along with lots of small ones. So that was in 50,000 BC. He then said that that kind of threw the Atlanteans back. It threw them back, but they rebuilt because they were a maritime culture. They traded all over the world. They actually around 28,000 BC, became a little more than traders and started trying to conquer different areas of the world. And in 28,000 BC, a series of earthquakes occurred and it broke those five major islands up into only a few large islands, which you would see in the Caribbean today, like Cuba, you would see Haiti, you would see Puerto Rico, Andros Island in the Bahamas, and then there's a lot of other smaller islands. So he said it broke it up into only a few large islands and then loads of small islands. That was in 28,000 BC, the second destruction of Atlantis. The final destruction of Atlantis, according to Casey, occurred in 10,000 BC. The Atlanteans were given a message or they had some outer space entity, some alien, tell them that something's coming from space and Atlantis is about to be destroyed. Your area is going to be hit. So they were told this before 10,000 BC. It's called in the readings, we receive messages from the outer spheres. And that's how that crystal that I talked about, by the way, it was called the Tui, T-U-A-O-I, Tui stone, a very large multifaceted crystal. But they got this information and the priests of Atlantis, the children of the law of one, were tasked with writing a history of Atlantis, gathering up artifacts, and then finding three places around the earth, three where they could take all of these artifacts and this written history of Atlantis and protect it so that it would last through this destruction, whatever, whatever was going to occur. And almost everybody knows of them as the Hall of Records. But there are actually three Hall of Records. One of them, the famous one, is in Egypt under the right paw of the Sphinx in a chamber about 30 to 40 feet down. That is according to the Casey readings. That's the one a lot of people have looked for. There is another hall of records in what Casey said was the Yucatan, which he meant the entire Yucatan Peninsula. And he said initially it was somewhere in the Yucatan, but then it was moved later. That spot we know today is Piedras Negras, Guatemala. We can talk about that mainly maybe later. And the third place where the third Hall of Records was, was a temple that was in the Bahamas. And the Casey readings were very clear about it. 
that that temple was underwater under the slime of ages. And Casey recommended, again, a search down the Gulf Stream from Bimini. Uh, and there is a location about 30 miles down where we believe that's where it probably was. Okay, so there you go. A little deeper into this guy's readings, which, I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy, bro. It's like, I mean, we could take these readings you can do with it what we will. The guys predicted a lot of stuff. If you Google Edgar Casey's predictions and like, you know, like president deaths, mm-hmm. um, Adolf Hitler's rise and fall of power, and apparently his own death about four days out, he's like, I'm going to die in four days. And then he died four days later. You know, <laughs> who fucking knows? Um, and then, uh, forgive me, I have... One more from a documentary I found um, with some Edgar Cayce readings about Atlantis. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let me just say too that um, Greg Little was on Earth Ancients. Uh, shout Ooh, out nice. to Cliff Dunning uh, three, three months ago. Oh, wow. Saying, saying all the same things. Uh, so uh, you can go check him out on there too. He doesn't go so much into Casey there. He go He gets more into like the diving and everything else that he was doing off Bimini and all the other stuff that he was doing. Um, uh, also sh- shout out to Greg Carwood too. What's up, Greg? We love so, you. Man. I know you listen to the show, baby. We know, we know, <laughs> we know you're, we're your favorite. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, let, let's, can we talk about that though right now uh, before you give us this next clip? Uh, yeah, man. Because what's interesting about that when I was listening to it, like box saga stuff was just going through my head the whole time. Nice. The, the people of the law of one, mm-hmm. one world, one planet, you know, the the one love also that's connected to Rastafarianism and everything. And and even with Rastafari, I still think of box saga too, uh, because I, I feel like they're all kind of similar ideas and, and, being that we were all one people at one point and then we all got mixed up and now we're all fighting each other and shit. And why, why, why fucking why, why, you know, it's fucking stupid. Anyways, uh, it made me think of, of the box saga. And, uh, so it, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Also, uh, in, in hell in Helsinki, there was seven islands outside of, hell in the in the water um on roots of creation part two with michelle merle he talks about these seven islands a little bit um that are outside of hell um so go check out that show uh i mean it's so fascinating dude like because how i think of atlantis too is like this atlantic civilization that encompassed all the coastlines of these other continents of Europe, America, South mm-hmm. America, and Africa. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there was people present in these areas. And some of the biggest pyramids on the planet are in Mexico, not in Egypt. No, they are the biggest pyramid is in Mexico for show. It's called, I think it's La Danta. I think that's what it's called. And, and so, I mean, you have these huge ash pyramids in in Mexico, and then you have all these different, you know, things that would give credence to Atlantis, like 
Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia also being uh, Georgia Guidestones. Yeah, can well connecting <laughs> to the the country of Georgia and the Caucasus Mountains and uh so and the Atlantic, the and then Atslan, the meaning of the word Atslan means like uh the people that were there said that they named it after the place they were from and it had something to do with uh the land of great whiteness, I think it was called. And uh not that that meant Caucasian people, but I think that it meant land of like ice, like white you know, glaciers and shit like that. Like they came from there. Those people yeah, came from yeah. there. From the settled. north, from, from the north, from the yeah. ice. Or even Siberia. It could be Siberia for all we know, you know, like they came out of Siberia and Russia, which were, was fucking cold as shit too and ice everywhere. So, I mean, they could have came in that way also. And what do we know about Native Americans is that they did come from over there in Siberia, right? Their DNA is connected to um the siberian area in the the europe that euro-asian continent so i i think that's some pretty interesting stuff like maybe they do, did go over the land bridge uh the fifty thousand years thing is kind of interesting to me i don't know how much of that fits in with what i know but uh it's fascinating to say the least. it is it is one of the things i took away from that was the one of the islands one of the you know after it broke into the three main islands it was um uh Poseida, og and arian ah. arian is really interesting i mean it's tartarian yeah you know and then the whole ww2 hitler connection you know they're like looking for the arians um you know and, and like it didn't even come to be a thing until uh, you know, till Casey, I mean, I, I'm sure I actually don't even, I'm, I'm speaking out of my ass now at this point, because I, I don't even know when he said like the Aryan nation, yeah. what he truly meant by that. Um, I just have heard it a plenty of times, but I know that, you know, the Aryan Island, if uh, talking about Atlantis, Plato didn't talk about that. That was all Casey's reading. So, mm-hmm. it, which came, you know, b- just right before world war, world war two. So What's interesting about Og too is Og is like a Nephilim giant in the Bible. I think it's uh, there's a a book called the Lost Book of Og, and it talks about huh. this giant. Um, so uh, interesting. So it could be giant white people <laughs> associated with the sea. I mean. Interesting. interesting yeah no, super <laughs> yeah i'm just looking up i'm looking up what the lost book of king og the only written words of the repheim demon Raphaim. yeah interesting oh and there's a there's an eight minute video on youtube look at that all right so i'm gonna uh play this video and then uh then we'll wrap it up and get on to this very long interview it's gonna be about a three hour <laughs> episode for you guys because we fucking love you so here we go <laughs> to magnetic fields, calibrate farms, healing, creation of better agricultural conditions, and a big etc. According to Casey, in the golden age of the Atlanteans, many of them didn't depend on human bodies. These extraterrestrials had a luminous form. Among them were the Syrians, the Archaturians, and the Pleiadians. They came to live here up to 10,000 years ago. 
According to Casey, after the Golden Age, Atlantis suffered a schism, where each island of the continent began to be a kind of sovereign state. The largest islands were the three, Arian, Og, and Poseidon, and each had its own idiosyncrasy. Arian was stronger militarily, in addition to having full control of the technology. Always according to the stories of Edgar Cayce, Atlantis was destroyed by this technology. By continuous and massive mega-explosions, it was a matter of months because of the Arians who were against the law of one, deeply rooted in Persadia. This destruction occurred almost immediately. Although there were weeks or months, the destruction could not be prevented from day one, and occurred in 10,500 BC. Many of the Atlanteans warned of the great destruction and began to abandon the islands, going to Europe, America, and mainly Africa. There you go. More crazy Casey shit. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, too, that um, Mexico, the Mayans, are kind of have a lot of similarities with the Egyptians, too. So maybe they escaped in two different directions but yeah. kept some of the same belief systems. Maybe that's a possibility, or maybe something the else happened. The pyramid building I don't know. societies could have been Atlanteans, the original yeah. Atlanteans. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, interesting, huh? Very. So that means, uh, that means may, so I, I don't know how that, I mean, maybe the Tartarian structures were Atlantean, and the Great Flood is what flooded them, and that's what the mud flood was. That's because... <laughs> one possibility and it goes back to that that those methane pockets those giant methane pockets that are over yeah. in that area that he's talking about you know like because everybody keeps trying to find this cataclysmic event well what if we knew how to disrupt the electromagnetic fields to let off methane gas pockets or something so who knows i mean <laughs> fucking knows. will we ever know i don't know we're nah. gonna keep digging though <laughs> i don't know i don't know it, it starts to get more and more fantastical and i think that's why <laughs> that's why some people are like oh atlantis is just you know mythology but i mean there's a lot of evidences to support that atlantis was real these pyramids yeah. exist these yeah. these these places <laughs> exist it's not mythology like it's suppressed history it's not it's mythology to the mainstream as they indoctrinate us, bro. That's it, man. It's mythologies to the shaping of the technocratic takeover that is demon, <laughs> demon, demon, fucking. I'm miss. I'm shortening out. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, that's some stuff for you guys to sit on and think about for a while. And then uh, listen to this episode with Ari Asulin. Asulin. You ready? Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> so check out this episode and then uh, give it a minute. And December 3rd, we're doing our Tartaria group chat. And we got Randy, the ghost of Tartaria. Pop-Tarts. We got... Mark, Mystic Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Tower Control. Yeah, we got Legit Bat in the house. We got Swinging. We got Matt from The Great Deception. We My got man. Into the Apocalypse, which is Adam and Chud X 
uh, from Deborah Gets Red Pilled. Yeah, yeah, baby. And we got Andy from the Deep Share. And then we also Andy, have yes. one special, special. Guest. guest. Surprise guest that we're not going to reveal until the show happens. So, so check it out. It. We oh. are going to see if we can do a live feed on it. Um, if we do, we will post on Instagram or in the chats or wherever we can to uh, let people know. Uh, and that's about it. Let's uh, let's get into Ari Aswin. Join our Telegram chats too, y'all, because oh, yeah. everybody on our Telegram has been cool they've been great and uh just we keep getting trickles in you know people keep joining we're gonna have a bunch of people on there soon and it's uh it's gonna be amazing and we'll start shouting people out as they start joining yeah come check it out uh telegram's awesome uh share stories share content don't don't come in there and post bullshit like on instagram come in there and post real articles talk about them you know give us some inspiration to maybe where we should go with our shows, you know, we're going to be looking and talking to you guys in there also. So like, it's going to inspire us to do shows about the stuff that we're talking about in there and dig deeper and find out more stuff and maybe even find some guests that can, we can bring on and talk about that stuff more. Uh, so get it. Wake, wake, wake. Uh. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. We are rising from the ashes. And we, as the Fire Tribe, will rise. Awaken our eyes beyond what is seemingly laid upon us. to the further ends of our cosmic understanding. If you enjoy our show and you like the content that we create, make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Hello, everybody. Yes, please, please, please do. Also, follow us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at risingftashes at yahoo.com. We are exclusively on Alt Media United. Check it out, altmediaunited.com forward slash rising from the ashes. We love you all so much. Thank you for listening to our show.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to... And I am the homie Romy. Hello, Dan. How are you? Always, always. It's it's always too long when I'm away from your sweet, sultry goodness, sir. (laughs) I don't. Who cares about us? Today on the show, we have Ari Asulin. How's it going, Ari? Hey, how's it going? Howdy. Howdy, Howdy, guys. Howdy. How's it been going for you, Ari? What's up, Oh, man? it's just been busy. We're just sort of putting our uh, lives back together after a little firehouse fire. It's been a lot of <laughs> learning about insurance and all that kind of stuff. But Oh, joy, huh? Yeah, yeah how it all works. How it all really works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, close to getting back into my um, uh, <clears throat> production of a mud flood video. I uh, had it all scripted out before the fire and um, a lot of documents that I sort of uh, managed to recover. And I think I have a pretty solid narrative, a, a theory, a hypothesis, a reasoning, all this nice. kind of stuff, just ready to to put it into a video. It's going to be a long video. There's so much content Ooh. in there. And I'm dying to hear what people have to say about this theory. Excellent. Well, so we're going to get into that and more. Absolutely. So uh, what I want to start off with Fiamenco. is some Anatoly <laughs> Flam. Flamingo. Flamingo. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have been Femi. F, f, see, I would just do that. So Flamingo works for me. Um, because he talks about the missing years that, you know, uh, is prevalent in Tartaria mythology. So I, I kind of want to like get into that a little bit more because I, I hear it a lot, but I, I don't really know a lot about Anatoly. Absolutely. So uh, let's just sum up. Uh, Femienko more or less represents the Eastern perspective of history. While we got a big dose of Western, no doubt, uh, if you live in America or Europe, uh, you you got a dose of the Western perspective from Columbus to World War II, essentially. And in the East Coast, sorry, no, not coast, in the East side of the world, in in Eastern Europe and in Asia even, they basically have um, a different uh, memory of history, different writing uh, doc- documentation written down in the books inside their buildings. And they sort of disagree with more or less everything that's happened in the last uh, thousand years of recorded history. Disagree meaning they have different perspective, differs in details, in names, in outcomes even. And this is no different from, uh, say, gossip you'd hear in the street. You know, you hear maybe a, about a fight in the street and you talk to one side of it, you hear one story. Talk to the other side here, totally different story justifying it in totally different ways. So Anatoly Fomenko came out in the 90s. He's a mathematician, and he basically said, uh, we're going to apply a sort of timeline analysis to events that we are currently looking at in the present contemporary events. We use all this math to put dates and events in sequential order, uh, you know, measuring the time between each of these events and comparing the the stories to other stories that happened earlier. In this way, using sort of a fingerprint, like a a blueprint of a story, you can sort of essentially match it to stories in the past. You can say, this story in the present and this story in the past are identical. You know, the the timing, the the events, the outcome, the types of people, and even the the locations of the countries and stuff. Um, And through this one technique, Fomenko was able to essentially prove with math that... um, all religious texts, you know, holy texts, and um, uh, secular texts as well, 
previous to the 19th century have basically been uh, lied about. Uh, by who? Well, uh, the people who, who cared for them, the, uh, the so-called Holy Roman Empire. These guys, uh-huh. uh, they have this memory of the, the Roman Empire, which they said happened in Italy and the West, West uh, Europe. And, uh, and, and Fomenko says, sorry, we have a different memory of that same empire. It wasn't mm-hmm. the Roman Empire. It wasn't called that. Uh, that's, that, that name, Roman, came from the Romanov family. And they're, of course, their version of history um, mm-hmm. includes Rome being founded by Romulus, uh, the mother and the cubs and all that. That's their perspective of how this this giant world empire formed, and they say it happened two thousand years ago. Whereas Fomenko says they're lying about essentially the timeline. They're stretching it. They're adding one thousand years. They're pushing all of their bad crimes of medieval periods into the past stuff they did recently in the eighteenth and nineteenth century. Fomenko is basically um, accusing Western scholars of covering up their own crimes. Some people say he doesn't accuse. If you look at his website, chronologia.org, mm-hmm. or if you just watch some of his videos, it's very clear. He's talking about mm. fraud. He's talking about people knowing what they're doing. This isn't an accident. Someone's saying one story, one famous story, for example, like Joan of Arc, and, uh, and changing it and saying it also happened in the Bible, you know, 2,000 years ago in, in the book of Judges. Uh, this you know additional story that matches up identically in sequence of events and character and all that. So... Fianco is proving story by story that these are actually modern events pushed into the past for the purposes of this one, this one um, Romanov family, this one, uh, this powerful uh, family that was sort of running things in the Eastern Empire for a long time. They left and they, they took their the history roof? with them and they basically lied about, you know, the people in the East when they left, the, the Romanovs. So anyway, uh, that's just a... Right, so that's what I'm getting at. So this other memory of the Roman Empire actually puts it in the in uh-huh. Siberia, and it's not called Roman; it's called Rus Horde. Why, why Rus? Because it's Russian. Those are the Rus people. And Horde. Why is it Horde? Because the nature of this empire was specifically eclectic. It was allowing all kinds of people. There was no kind of conformity. You had every kinds of human out there. You had the giants and and midgets and tiniest of people, and you had giant hairy people. And you had people like us, you know, mostly no hair. Um, you had everyone in that empire. And it's very different from, say, 19th century where everything was conformed. You see one kind of human, one size fits all. From, from no, that fits. So, sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but um, that, that's the, the stretch of it. You got Eastern version of history is very different from Western. It's a different timeline. Go ahead. How, how does he do the math? Like, how do you do math with history? What is, like, how does he calculate that? Um, with the religious holy texts, like say the book of Judges, okay. you basically have in those books, you have two or three perspectives of the same story. Um, if you can find them, usually there's only one version that makes it into the one they print, the Bible and the Quran, for example. But in the archives of the Kremlin, they had other versions of the same story, a secular version, an Eastern version. Now, what stories am I talking about? Joan of Arc story, uh, the Jesus story, the, you know, the most Flood. important story in human history. Um, and uh, just about every other one that you name, like Noah, uh, there's a different record of that story, a different version, a different. Dis, um, the, the the term flood means something completely differently mm. in the Eastern version. It was just a flood of of change occurring throughout the empire that the that the heretics, the uh, the ones in the West, were were escaping to America from. So again, I'm jumping all over the place. 
might be a good idea to just start at the beginning with how this empire sort of came into existence. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh, but first, yeah, go for it. Uh, we were talking to Gary Wayne. Yeah. Um, and one of the, because I always put like the deluge around 10,000 BC, the younger driest time period. Right. But his, uh, what he's saying is he thinks that it happened around 2400 BC and that the reason why all these texts are the same is because all these civilizations that survived the flood ended up spreading out all over the place and, and writing down everything that happened uh, from the flood story. And so that's why they're all so similar and very much the same stories, just in different languages. Right. And that's a great, maybe some minute different details. Exactly. And that's, that's where I I predicate my theory too. It seems that every civilization has a basic starting date around this, around a thousand years margin of error, but around the same time. Okay. And they they all include cataclysmic events that created earth. Um, And then those ended and then human civilization began. Okay. So yeah. Um, which well, one I'm you want curious to about uh, uh, a lot of the Tartaria research I look up, you know, times. because due to Tartarstan existing ahead, uh, in Russia currently, and there actually being a population right, of yeah. Tartarians, essentially, right, currently living on Earth. And there's, you know, these seas and all. And, and there's so much um, right, document yeah. pointing that Tartaria itself, as at least a, a, a location and a people, are in Russia and stem down into China, right? So I, I have, I'm curious about this Rus horde, um, the, the Romanov family that, that is leaving Russia and going to um, start this, this whole new world order, you want to call it, or this new way of being coming right. from the East and going there. Are, are, were they like part of Tartaria at all? Or were they trying to split Tartaria. away and create that ultimate war against the Tartarians? Or how, how does that tie in in that at all? Yeah, um, this is all it, right. This is all in Fomenko's new chronology. He basically says okay. what happens century Fuck after century yeah. and why. That is so important to me. I have to know the why. I have to know what, when, how one thing leads to the next. He basically specifically points out that this empire um, came out of existence um, out of the need to sort of take revenge for what happened to Jesus. And um, I can just start Jesus, with that story because that, that's basically a, the beginning. Because Jesus he is was Russian, a, right? Right. He was a giant, a hairy giant oh, from yeah, the Russo Empire. He's a big right. guy. You can see him in a lot of paintings. He's a lot bigger than the doors and stuff. Um, and there's, you know. Uh, anyway, um, so let's just start there. Uh, what happened was you got basically in 11th century is the real first century. You know, that 10, 000, or 1,000 years before that was added. And 11th century was after the cataclysm was finally ended, this world sailed up, and humans were starting to um, actually spread all over the world, um, to invent things, create cities, trade, you name it. It was um, There was no warfare, period. There was um, plenty of want, but nobody fought over resources. That's sort of insane. Nobody does that. Um, the point is that there was no reason for war for a long time. It had to come up with the first reason before there was the first war. So the first reason was... Something that sort of happened on its own, but um, if you've read my uh, research on on Mars, you'll know that Mars shares history with Earth, has been there the whole time, and that there are humans on Mars. Um, that they had a they had a stake in all of these events from a remote location, and during uh, during uh, opposition, so that when Mars and Earth get close to each other, 
every 26 months. There is this potential for telepathy and communication, uh, visions, and all this kind of stuff. So they, they were influencing Earth events, but they could not get the humans to fight or, or do usury or, or bring back that ancient Egyptian slave empire that had fallen. Um, nobody wanted to do that stuff. So they had to come up with a reason. And that first reason was to crucify the most popular guy around. It was just this giant from the Rus Horde Empire. He was not a prince, not yet. He's remembered as a prince because he created an empire, but he did not intend to. Uh, his name was Andronicus uh, Christ, and Christ means anointed one, and anointed means you're just special in some way. The way he was special was his mother was virgin. Uh, this happens. This is not a miracle, and it's recorded in three different um, te testimonies. You got the Bible. You also got the Eastern Orthodox Bible, and then you got the secular testimony saying the exact same thing. Mary running through the village saying, I'm pregnant. I don't know how this happened. Mary getting kicked out of a... Um, hotel because she can't fit. And you got you to gotta realize she can't fit in the hotel. There's no room. They don't just throw out pregnant women. They, they put, out, they put the, her in the stable because she was too big to fit into the rooms. So anyway, all those stories are right there in the Kremlin archives. And Fimianko is going through these timelines and he's saying, wait a second, this Jesus story happened in the 11th century. Absolutely. It happened in the 11th century. Here's the events around it. And the Crusades, which are directly connected to Jesus, happened right after Jesus was crucified, right after in the next century, not, not eight centuries later, nine centuries later, as they, as they try to make us believe, which is insane. The, actually, the crusaders were taking revenge on the people who had crucified Christ, not the people who were their ancestors. And they basically, this was the first reason to create armies and to go all the way from um, the Rusford Empire down into Istanbul, the first Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified on the Bophorus River, and basically just take over, take back that that holy temple from the heretics, the first time they ever did that. Um, this was, of course, a bad idea. You never want to go to war, ever. Um, what they allowed to happen was uh, by the, the Siberian, um, by the Siberian um, population allowing themselves to colonize into an army and create an empire, they invited all of the bad things that empires used to have. The first thing is taxes. Now, Jesus himself said, no taxes. You guys in the West... You could be doing all that stuff, taxes, usury, circumcision, baptism, and you don't need to do it. He was basically telling everyone that they need to stop, and he was blaspheming. You know, that's what's causing all the problems. So, so then after the Crusades happen, the Rusord Empire starts waging taxes. It's like they didn't learn his lesson. So it, it seems clear to me and to Fumenko that in that period when the Crusades began, the Rusord Empire allowed all of those bad people as bankers to come in and sort of just continue running the exact same things they're doing in the West. This continued for three centuries up until uh, 15th century when the Rusford Empire started to uh, literally fall apart from the inside. So my point is that the Russians back then and in modern times have always believed that their empire, the uh, Russia, modern Russia today, and the ancient Siberian Tatarian Empire have always been run by foreigners from the West. To distinguish the Western foreigners from the Eastern, because they all look very similar and they have similar religions, there is only <laughs> one way to actually distinguish West and East. And the East Coast, okay. I'm sorry, East uh, Asia, uh, Rus Horde Empire, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just spacing on names tonight. Rus Horde Empire was polytheistic. They regarded all of the gods that existed, all the planets equally. They never dared say one was greater because they had all shifted in position so many times. And they, they kept the stories and taught them to everyone. They weren't secret. They weren't encrypted. They had a cob. The first cob was up there in the Kremlin, big cube. 
that represented the uh, black cube of Saturn. Supposed to worship Saturn as the mother creator of Earth. No big deal. Um, he had the first, uh, he had Jerusalem, number two, second Jerusalem created in the Kremlin. Because after they took Jerusalem from Istanbul, they had to recreate it in a new holy location. So they recreated Jerusalem, number two, in the Kremlin. It's still there today. It still has the same shape as described in the Bible with six uh, walls and six gates. That's Jerusalem, too. It was never in Palestine. But something happened when the Rus Horde Empire was starting to fall apart Ooh. in that 15th century. Oh, there was this plan formed called the Jesuit plan. Jesuits were going to start to appear in the next two centuries. Yeah. And they were going to start, they're going to start to spread monotheism all over the planet. That was so, what was good. So the Jesuits are, are from Russia or they are they team, from the West? They teamed up they're with the, the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, they're from France. Yeah. Question okay. mark. In the, in, yeah, well, well, let's break it down. In, in France, you got Joan of Arc symbolizing uh, the existence of heretics. What are heretics? These are people that believe that someone's speaking to them directly. I got a vision. I got, you know, someone told me to start war against, you know, the British Empire, something like that. Uh, so people like that regarded as heretics back then because they couldn't prove that, you know, there was actually anyone they were speaking to. It was, uh-huh. it seemed like they're crazy. I believe that they weren't crazy. I believe they're receiving messages from Mars and from other locations that telepathy is possible, but it doesn't matter what or how. Joan of Arc, everyone knows that story. And it symbolizes that the heretics finally sort of won an ideological warfare against those polytheistic crusader inquisition type people who want everyone to sort of um, stop believing in, in monotheism. They had a, they had a, the crusade was about getting people to stop believing in monotheism, essentially. Um, It's because um, uh, the crusade, again, according to Femenko, was launched from the Rus Horde Empire, spread throughout Europe. It was not from Europe to the east. It was the other direction. Just like he says, the Crusades was from the east to west, not from the west to east. The, the eastern memory of those wars, opposite from the west. So just to highlight that point again. So anyway, back to Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, she symbolized a, um, a heretic that was gaining political power. After she died on the, on the stake, uh, the other heretics sort of rose to power and took over in France and essentially in Europe. And they started resistance. The resistance is known as the Reformation. The Reformation is when they said, we're done with the old ways, superstition and multiple gods and stuff. And we're all going to conform into one vision of religion worldwide. Reformation jump-started the Jesuits. Jesuits were actual pilgrims that went all over the planet and literally evangelized everyone they could find. This Jesuit key is so significant because it affects things today. And it also is the basis of where I believe the mud flood event was triggered. Mm -hmm. Um, It was was why things got so bad that that mud flood event was required. Um, So not to jump ahead, the Jesuits, they all started in France. They're short people, very white skinned, pale, they're very weak. You know, Um, they, um, when they visited other people, when they went to Egypt, for example, um, they won people over just by being innocent and like sheep to the slaughter. They're like, you know, listen to what we have to say. They got, they, they put one, everyone over. They were able to convince native Americans, uh, the black Egyptians that used to be in Africa and in Sri Lanka, they visited and converted everyone, all the Hindus over into Buddhism. Is this kind of like the Pharisees? Um, Pharisees. God, I'm totally blanking now. Of, of Egypt? The Pharisees are, are the ones that 
uh, convince Pontius Pilate to crucify Jesus? Oh, I'm sorry. I think of Jesus' story. Okay. Um, all right. So the um, the the you can break them down basically between the monotheistic and the polytheistic, and the the Pharisees or the the Jews, the rabbis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, whatever you mm-hmm, want to call mm-hmm. them. All they really are are people that believe in monotheism and all okay. of those ancient Egyptian uh, rules. So they're not the same. Um, well, that's what they might have been called Pharisees. I mean, that's just one right, but term for them. That's what I'm saying. Is the Pharisees the same as the Jesuits? Uh, they no, no they're, they're much earlier. Mono, for sure. Monotheistic okay. source. Jesuits was a completely new, but the same source, absolutely same source. Very similar, actually, in, in doctrine and origin. Monotheistic, exactly. So my whole point is that Jesuits, as during the fall of the Rusord Empire, they took advantage of that fall and that vacuum. And they just spread all over the planet. They made big changes. The biggest change, in my opinion, is what they did in Egypt. They went back to Egypt, uh, meaning uh, when they originally left Egypt in the first place with the Exodus, the uh, the masters took their rituals with them to what to Europe, and they took their slaves too. And when the Jesuits came to visit Egypt in the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, very slowly pilgrimage, they were slowly reclaiming that old ancient Egyptian empire that they used to own. They used to run things there. And one of the things that they did when they showed up was to build the Sphinx. Everyone fights over the Sphinx and disputes mm. its meaning and stuff, but I think it's very clear. The Sphinx is Osiris, the, the mm. triform god made of three parts that in the mm. Egyptian lore had died in the past. It had been killed by Set and broken into three pieces, buried in the Nile or the other side of the planet, and is gone. Now, someone is saying that Osiris is back, and altogether, you got Mars, nose, and beard, and, uh, and Venus, I'm sorry, Venus knows Mars the beard and Saturn is the rest of the face. Um, so when so someone's saying that this god has recombined and is back and they built the Sphinx. So the, the black slaves of Egypt, they started freaking out. They started saying, um, we don't we don't know if they're telling the truth or not, but we don't dare touch these statues. Mm-hmm. The only yes, reason I bring the Sphinx up is because someone did destroy the nose and the beard of this of the mm-hmm. Sphinx. And you don't just do that to a god. So so it's very significant as to what happened there. The Jesuits tried to build the Sphinx, and when Napoleon showed up in the 18th century, his army destroyed that, um, destroyed the nose and the beard in order to reset that god to where it is today. It's in pieces. The story ended. It did not come back. So there's ideological war happening there. Another example of this ideological war is in Afghanistan in 1999, very recently, the Afghanis the Taliban destroyed a Buddha statue. Have you guys ever seen that video? It's this huge Buddha <laughs> wow. statue carved into the side yeah. of the mountain, and they yeah. blew it up, the whole thing up. It, Jumpstarted the whole 9-11 thing. Uh, so they weren't just saying, you know, they weren't just saying, hey, Wester, we hate you. They're saying Buddha has no place in our country, has no history here. Um, they're, uh-huh. they're, again, it's the ideological battle that we do not accept your monotheistic Jesuit gods in our country. I could, I could point out the same thing in Sri Lanka with the Hindus and Buddhism there. They uh-huh. uh, never quite accepted Buddhism. It's more or less a, uh, a rich person's religion. Um, like one of the big natures of Buddhism is that you don't have to know anything. So there's no, nothing about creation, origin story, or anything like that. They have nothing in there. And then as a uh-huh. result of having almost no knowledge, everyone ends up just worshiping Buddha as another creator god. So you can say Buddha, Buddhism isn't monotheistic. You can say it's not just another um, you know, Christianity in disguise. But everything, But if you take yeah. education yeah, away I, from I, the people, I, they will I, mass I up that, and they will just that's, pray to the that's Buddha a, that's a big. So anyway, that's kind of a big um, deal to a lot of people so, because a lot of like kind of people want to, you know, tie these uh, philosophical you know, 
points in their life or pull something up at a dinner table and say, well, you know, in Buddhism and so on and so forth. And you're like, that's definitely more of just like a philosophical standpoint yeah. <laughs> as it is than a, an actual story or a religion, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's convoluted, but that's beautiful. Thank you for that one. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But so uh, just jump up ahead in time here, Napoleon, he was basically um, a product of the whole Jesuit movement. Uh, first, in, first they spread to Egypt. Napoleon went to Egypt. He went to America. Uh, they put all these colonies, Louis, the, the 16, I think set up colonies in America. So they were spreading fast. And then According to official history, suddenly Napoleon gets defeated and all of the French Jesuits get wiped from the map. They disappear. They're no longer there. So something very interesting happened in that 1812 Napoleonic War. Um, once I looked deeply into that war, I realized that, again, the Westerners are not telling the truth here. We, we sort of have a winner-takes-all mentality. World War One and World War II are especially like that uh, taught in schools. And the Napoleonic Wars are no different. Um, the idea is that um, in, in 1812 war, they want to separate it out as a war in Europe and a war in America. There was another war here in America occurring at the exact same time, right? 1812 between the British and the colonists in America. And you had a, a French colony right there that essentially wasn't involved in that war. At the same time, they were invading Russia on the other side of the planet, uh, marching into in the Kremlin with an army of, Napoleon was, with an army of four... 4,000, no, 420,000 soldiers. So th this moment when Napoleon marches into the Kremlin, you have to look at it in the historic context of a European war that's been going on for about 800 years. The Kremlin people, the Rus Horde Empire, invaded the West originally, took back all those um, locations from the heretics. Now the heretics are invading the East and taking back the Kremlin. So by the time Napoleon got there, he basically... Um, in the official story, they say that the Kremlin was burned down by the time he got there. I don't think anyone would have actually done that. I think what really happened was he, uh, his his uh, invasion of uh, the Kremlin was successful. There was no one to oppose him. He had his huge army. They had advanced uh, technology. Uh, if you look at paintings of Napoleon's army, you see weird stuff like airships and a bunch of tiny little French soldiers getting into a huge airship. You see stuff like uh, cannons, sound cannons that um, they make instrument noises and castles fall apart. A bunch of weird references that we don't really understand today. Uh, we see some of these cannons left over around the world, and we assume that they're from previous you know, wars involving uh, gunpowder and cannonballs. But if you, if you know much about cannons, you know that cannonballs really don't work. And on the bigger cannons, they don't function at all. Those cannons are not cannonballs. They are sound cannons. You find them all over the planet from a previous... 1812 war that had some pretty advanced technology. So my point is that the plane wasn't opposed. They had all the right technology to invade the Kremlin. They had no problem. Um, it, it, in the official history, they say that the problem the plane had was they ran out of food. And if you, if you think that these French soldiers cross the Alps, they are not the type <laughs> of people that you know go on provision. They do not run out of food in one Must month and then lose that many soldiers and get to feed. That, that story is dubious. So, um, so this is where I start to put in the pieces, right? This is where I start to put in the pieces of the puzzle in my theory. Something weird happened in 1812. We had this totally different world before that, totally different. And then after, after this war, we have this so-called mud flood event. The mud flood is essentially the idea of a single event causing mud 
uh, to flood all over the planet at the same time and raise the level of the ground <clears throat> anywhere from a couple of feet to like 50 feet up uh, above a building, leaving the buildings intact, not tilted. And, um, and then everyone just sort of forgot the memory as if it never happened. That the mud flood, as far as I'm concerned, is the most interesting conspiracy theory there is. If you look at these photos, there is really no explanation for them. It's like, if, so, if they knew how this happened, they would put a plaque somewhere. This was a time we accidentally liquefacted our, our village. Oops, you know, covered it with mud. And, and then they would never do it again. But the fact that it happened all over the planet means that the mud flood event still has to be explained. We don't have an explanation for it. Um, and what I was realizing was I had a ready-to-go explanation. With my Mars theory, I basically was tracking a human civilization. It's only a few hundred years ahead of us in technology but it's very desperate for resources in a planet that is really not like Earth. It has very little water and it has oxygen and stuff, but it is cold and it is not a good place to live. So these guys need to need Earth to be compliant. They need the Earth to send them resources. And in a very fragile time when they're starting to invent a lot of transportation technology, the last thing in the world was that they needed was for someone deep within their own plan to turn the whole plan on itself. This is Napoleon. So what happened with Napoleon, the French Revolution took about 10 years. The French people tried everything they could to work with that um, th that um, heretic, monotheistic, um, Holy Roman Empire government. Uh, that was just not being a good government at all. And after 10 years, they basically started killing off some of their, uh, their priests' uh, uh, royalty class and creating this power vacuum. Now the French people had no idea how to rule themselves. No one's in charge and there was no king, there was no president. So Napoleon declares himself emperor in 1904 in response to uh, the Tsar of Russia declaring himself empire in 1901. But um, the point is Napoleon turned the Jesuit plan of invading the world with monotheism on itself. And what he spent his time doing in the next 10 years leading up to the 1812 war was going around and making allies of all of those locations the Jesuits had just converted. He went to Egypt, he knocked off the... Uh, nose and beard of the Sphinx. He proved to those black slaves, they were all black back then um, in Egypt, uh, that those, that God had not returned and that they can, you know, that they're free. And so, um, you know, he made allies of all of these kingdoms that we only have scraps of evidence of. What other kingdoms you got in Ireland and Scotland, especially in Ireland, you have these mountains with melted castles on the tops, melted castles, at least 50 locations of these melted mountains. They were clearly fortresses at some point, thriving and all that, and suddenly they're hit by some force and now they're melted. There is no way that any human could have done this using the technology available at the time. So these kingdoms, uh, the way they're dis destroyed has to be explained. In, in South Asia, you have all these islands that are sort of like lahar, lahars, they're not lahars, uh, I forgot the term, but they're, they're empty. They're like the inside of the islands uh, totally carved out. You cannot hmm. live on them. You cannot grow trees, you cannot grow crops. If you start looking on Google Earth, you'll find thousands of these islands. It's like there used to be a thriving location, and now they're carved out. So um, I've gone all day about that. Uh, in, the, in older maps of America in the 15th century, you can find an island of California, right? It's mm -hmm. not connected to the rest of America yet. has to be explained. So what I, what I started to realize is that there's actually all this evidence left mm -hmm. behind of a cataclysmic world event that happened very recently. Yeah, just over 200 years ago. And it is um, mm -hmm. so recent mm. that they basically spent the last 200 years 
resetting societies and covering it all up. The mud flood comes with a whole set of other conspiracies like the orphan trains, where they built mm-hmm. rapidly throughout America in the early 19th century. Trains all the way to Chicago um, uh, from, from the coast and they brought or- and to the south too. And they brought orphans from Europe, just children, no adults, to live in these, in these um, recently depopulated cities like Chicago. Um, apparently, it was so hazardous to be outside back then they could not go outside with a gas mask. Um, in the south, you also had orphan trains, South America. Sorry, uh, south um, in the south of North America, in the plantation belt, mm-hmm. you had the same orphan trains. But you can find the documents today still say if you're a black uh-huh. kid, you get sent to the south, and if you're a white kid, you get sent to the north. You've got deliberate mm. repopulation and, and relocation. Like I said earlier, in Egypt, you had black slaves for sure. They don't find any black people in Egypt anymore. They're all relocated. They're pushed south, uh, south into Central Africa, to places like uh, uh, Sierra uh, Nevada. Sierra Leone. Uh, no, sorry, not, not, not Sierra. Uh, There's a Sierra Leone. Uh, sorry, orphan train. Sierra Leone. Uh, and, and also, Ethiopia. I wanted to ask you right. this too, because so, uh, this, um, this massive is massive repopulation in the 19th century. Um, there, there's, there's definitely evidence of orphans being redistributed yeah. all over the world, including Russia and, and Europe. And you know, it's a, a crazy conundrum. I, I know not a lot about it, but um, I was wondering, right. what are the ties to Australia and Tartaria or just like the mud flood, this whole paradigm of things? Because there was definitely the mainstream narrative of it being a prisoner, you know, prisoner island, a place where prisoners are brought. I think maybe it was actually uh, orphans that were brought there after this to reset oh, yeah. and repopulate Australia with um, just extra orphans that they had from wherever they got all these children from. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, mm. one, th- one thing you got in, your, in Australia is the Aborigines, mm-hmm. right? The original people. And suddenly they're all gone. So what could have, what event could have wiped them all away and replaced them with something new? If you don't have those events, if you just have a series of skirmishes like we do here in America, you can't really explain the eradication of an entire indigenous race. You have, you have to go a little deeper. So that's one. The, the other thing, um, if the story wasn't that they're prisoners, then you yeah. can understand Britain would have no claim to Australia. They have to mm-hmm. say that. They basically have to say that Australia is a vassal state where they're sending people for some reason. Otherwise, Australia is going to be independent country because they're just going to follow what America did. So clearly, they never did that, and Australia yeah, is in a lot of trouble these days because they never, you know, they never got a good laws. What happened in Europe that they had all these extra children? They killed Second. all the parents. Sorry. What happened in Europe that they had all these extra children? Well. um, my biggest guess there was, yeah, that um, basically you had 400,000 Napoleon soldiers, that each one had a family, that they all left their family in order to fight this religious war, that they all believed in Napoleon to the point that they were willing to risk all, and that they lost in all this versions the, of history. means that the there 1812 are at least, war? Yeah, that means that there's okay. at least that many orphans as a result of it. Now, that I don't believe sense. that that's the end of the story. I believe that some of the worst things in human history happened all in the 19th century. That was the worst century of all. He basically had people going around and slaughtering the adults and taking the kids hostage, killing field style. Of course, that did happen in the 20th century too. That's so that's it's, incredibly it's in our, it's in interesting. History, uh, recently, another actually. question too, um, because you know the big story in the mud flood and orphan train realm is that they're repopulating these um, these cities that pre-existed what we're being told in America, right? Like huge um, architecture that shouldn't belong here. And how the fuck did they build them 
supposedly in just a few years, right? Well, there's if there's all these children, where are the adults at, right? right. Like, are the Freemasons yeah. made up? Are are the Freemasons like? Did they build anything? Are they completely new and a hijack of like the Moore Masonry or the Moorish Masons? And um, and why were they? You know, were they just using the children to basically do the work of these supposed Freemasons? Well, um, <clears throat> for what little I've looked into the the Freemasons, um, they're uh, secret society sort mm-hmm. of came into prominence and then got exposed all in the 19th century. Seems like that's the only century where they actually matter. These days they don't matter. And in the past, you know, everyone that knew how to build anything was a Mason. So there is only one other way to look at it. And that's that the secret society Masons yeah. believe that they are creating out of everything, including humans, that they're literally creating a new reality, new existence. And in other words, they're, you know, sort of handling this uh, this repopulation. You know, <laughs> well, they're it. doing a terrible job. Hmm. Um, you, you were talking about earlier Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You were talking earlier about Jesus being a giant. How, <laughs> yeah, if he was a giant, how'd they get him up on a cross? Well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people think that Jesus saying, died on the cross. <laughs> and there's actually a reason. The what? Yeah, there's actually a reason for that. Um, there's a good reason. Yeah. Um, first thing is that, you know, we're just taking the story for what it is that Jesus carried that cross. First of all, he was cooperative with the whole ceremony. He, um, wanted to, to let everyone know the, the small, you know, heretics that are clearly afraid of him, that he wasn't any kind of threat, that he was going to go along with this ceremony, but I do not believe that that cross killed him. Uh, they had to make up the whole spear gang killing him thing just because, you know, crosses do not kill people, especially if they're provisioned. So let's break it down. What really happened? Um, we got paintings of Jesus being brought down from the cross by his own family, more giants, and carried away. Um, we have testimony by the by the Westerners that they watched Jesus go into heaven. And that is the story that they wrote down in the Bible. So let's take a look at what they could have possibly meant by that. The Rusord Empire was this free location with, like you said, amazing buildings. You had water parks and stuff. You had free energy. It was heaven. And in the in Western Europe, you had people who were were the property of the church, quite literally, um, straight from the circumcision, the mark, and everything else. And if you let those people into the East, you will have that problem in the East. And they knew it. So they had these gates, all these gates set up between the empires. Um, St. <clears throat> Petersburg gates is the most popular, well-known that everyone references. Now, of course, these are the same gates of St. Peter that we hear about when people talk about the mythological heaven. But in the East, these are just locations that people actually traveled through. And when Jesus traveled through the gates of, well, he wasn't in that location. It was other saints that went through that one. But when he went through the gates of Jerusalem, he was leaving into a location that the Western heretics were not allowed to go. And that is where you see more stories of Jesus after the crucifixion. You see the second, um, God, what's the word? Um, revelation, second revelation in America, because the Mormons insist that the same person came to America and, and gave several sermons, like three sermons that are recorded in detail. Um, they're not talking about a ghost. They're not talking about, you know, a vision. They're talking about the guy. He might be crippled, but he has an entourage and they brought him to America, to Asia, to Japan. There's a place in Japan called the Tomb of Christ. It might actually be where he was buried. People still, you know, regard that location as possibly one of the locations. So, Point is the Jesus story continues on, and the the Westerners were the ones who sort of t- 
took it and made it into this mythological um, son of God version, which which totally eliminated the real nature of this person and his the revolution that he caused and made and rebranded actually the Jesus identity as the same old uh, Egyptian uh, resurrected deity that we've always known, Horus, or mm. or even going further back. Um, uh, Moloch. So if you go back all the way to the beginning, you basically Babylon. have, right. You have the same deities that have been rebranded many, many times. So Jesus, just the current version of that. And Buddha, again, was just another current version of the resurrected deity, something that never, ever happened in real life to a human. So that's the answer Buddha, to that question. Buddha's a reincarnated deity though. Yeah. Not necessarily resurrected. Um, right. The, in Buddhism, they do allow for reincarnation, mm-hmm. whereas in Western, yeah. um, Monotheism, they do not. <laughs> one soul, one chance, they all say. <laughs> they get really uh, touchy on that subject. Um, you mentioned St. Petersburg, too. There's a St. Petersburg in Finland. So when you're talking about the mythological gates of heaven, uh, there is actually a St. Petersburg, Finland. Right, exactly. Which there's, connects there's no to reason the, to assume box, that, I guess. So. Exactly. It, I it doesn't have to be the same location. It could be somewhere else, too. Yeah, let's get into Bach Saga. Oh, you got some box saga? Yeah, I um I did do some research on it. Um, yeah, this is exactly what we expect to find. Uh, a lot of uh family stories of people that um didn't have any way of publishing them, and then all of a sudden in the 19th century, they come out of or 20th century, they come out of obscurity, and people are like, Whoa, look at all this detail, family history with uh with dates and and reasons for things happening and all of that. Um, this is to be expected, you're gonna find <laughs> a lot more of this once they start, you know telling us the truth about this planet. What I understand about the Vatican is that all they've ever done in the last the last 150 years, the Vatican has gone around the world, <laughs> finding artifacts, valuable artifacts, mm-hmm. bringing them back to Italy and burying them on the ground. So it's just, they're, they're doing it on purpose. They don't want us to know our own history, but this, this uh, Bach, I or Bach, Bach guy was clearly connected to, um, you know, what used to exist, these royalties. Royalties used to be more tribal. They're associated with location. If you're, Going to Finland, you'll find an entire kingdom of Finland there, you know, and they got ancient treasures and they got a history going all the way back to the origin story of Earth. Um, no reason to doubt any of that. The part I do doubt, of course, mm. is all of the people that take the box story and try to fit it into their own narratives, the pre-existing narratives, which, in my opinion, don't have any reference points in in the actual box saga literature itself. Um, a lot of this stuff is completely metaphorical and much like Norse mythology. Uh, we have to understand the metaphors for what they are. If we don't, then we're accidentally going to um, reinterpret metaphors as something mystical, magical, impossible. And what I'm saying is that all of these things in Bach Saga actually can be explained. There, there is just a couple things that don't make it into the story, like 50,000 years in the past and the younger Dryas. That's not part of his story. That's not part of his family history. That is something where even if the family referenced these things, we, we have to assume that we don't have the, the information, the facts yet. Let me give you a better example of redaction. With Scientology, we have this religion where we hear the craziest stuff about Scientology. We hear about aliens, Xenu, and souls being thrown in volcanoes. Um, if you look deeply into Scientology, into the original books, into the lawsuit with the FBI, you'll find out that a lot of that stuff wasn't in there, that a lot of that stuff came out of the FBI lawsuit against Scientology, and that in those lawsuits, they insisted that this is actually the most hidden and the most secret. Th- those lawsuits in the FBI 
destroyed what Scientology used to be. So it used to be a very simple religion that believed that they were uncovering a history of the earth using telepathy and that the earth history was only about 3,000 years old. So really, Scientology, the real version of it, is something entirely different from what we're being told. And Bach Saga, I'm sure, is experiencing the same kind of redaction. That's all. I don't know how much redaction. I could be totally wrong about certain things, but we got to take certain claims with a grain of salt. I have been looking at these websites, and the claims are really all over the all over the place. Like the uh, like a I mean, like a reaxis um, reorganization of the axis of the galaxy mm. caused a tilt of the axis of the Earth, yeah. which caused a fifty thousand year ice age. That kind of thing. almost we, like the box socket could be uh, re- revised with more like reference points if someone could like go through or. Um, and kind of like be like, Hey, this, this is a thing. If you, you know, this is what they're talking about here, or this is a part of history in which, and so then, because a lot of books that are, you know, out in the truth realm and stuff. And I think the box saga is an incredibly amazing story. I mean, the fact that it is such an old family, uh, linguistically handed down, um, uh, travel of this fucking deep, deep history of, 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 um, of uh of the north and right. uh yeah it's i i think it would be really cool to kind of like just to get more and and i'm really glad dan is uh is starting more to break it down and give more references to people well that's what <laughs> yeah that's here's what we're working on yeah here's one thing i gotta remember <laughs> about this guy if you look at if you look at iris history he had a terrible time he had a terrible life er sorry Terrible life where he got stabbed at once and then he got stabbed again and died. Wow. Mm-hmm. This guy's been hunted. This guy's been censored. He's been he told to shut up. And, and somebody, yeah, exactly. You got it. Somebody like that cannot possibly defend their literature. They are, uh, they are completely exposed. Um, you're right. We need somebody, hopefully from his family, yeah, to come in yeah. and say, this is what all this stuff really means. Without that connection, we are at a loss, I think. Uh, we are doing that in our in the new show, Roots of Creation, really? with Andy. Andy Rouse from the Deep Share podcast and Yake Hagstrom, uh, who is uh, close. He was close to Jim Chesner, and uh, he knows a lot of the people connected with the Box Saga. And uh, so we, we already have That's one really episode cool. out already, and uh, we just recorded the second episode today. So uh, that should be out shortly. And uh, we got to talk to Michelle Merle, who was friends with Eeyore Bach. And uh, he breaks down a lot of things, and uh, th- th- we're going to continue to talk a- to a lot of these people that have been close to the saga, and right. we're gonna Beautiful. we're gonna get deeper into the details of, of what they say. And and so if if there's claims that you're unsure of, uh, send me some questions, and I'll, I'll be sure to uh, ask some of these people um, these questions to see if we can flush it out some more. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's what exactly what we're trying to do is 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 find the truth in it and and find what's not true and um and we know all stories are mythological in some aspect so that's what we're trying to discern oh, yeah. that's excellent yeah oh, good yeah. luck with the research that's excellent um one thing that you want to try to do is maybe couple the timeline you know timelines are very helpful there are yeah. timeline references Ooh. and just write them in a big you know list and all right, all right, boys. Clear. Here's the deal. We're about to, uh, we're okay. we're running yeah. into 48 yeah. minutes. You're almost into oh, hour God. one, and I want to touch up on the floods again, right? Just just to give people more reference and understanding of of the the flood, right? Um, the many floods that have happened, the many erasing of 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 history that has happened several fucking times. 
no doubt, right? Um, you have the biggest story of the flood with a bunch of references, a water right. flood that yes. came, you know, however the fuck that happened. Velikovsky, which I wanted to ask you, wrote in his book that Saturn created the water that came down, uh, which is really fucking interesting. And then you have the zero referenceable mud flood right. that supposedly had happened, which is being incredibly covered up right. with zero references. But are we moving in? to yeah. the third flood the psychic flood right a psychic mud flood that's destroying the most important real estate our minds hmm. and the original mud flood i think could have been set in place to kind of like switch the old way of the world where there was free energy to install the new world order and like the capitalistic way of how things are going but now the market is changing yet again and secreting automation and transhumanism right and then i think we're yeah the fourth industrial revolution i currently think we're in the third flood fourth the psychic revolution. flood and it's not going to have any physical remnants or a cataclysmic anything i think that's the old way of doing things now it's completely just controlling the consciousness right there seems to be a reset going on right now and uh the year that seemed to start in my opinion 2016 when everything really started going to hell um, <laughs> seems to match up with no pun the, intended. Right, it seems to be a repeating year. 2016 repeats 1916, which uh, we saw right in the middle of World War One. Uh, but we also Holy saw a prediction from the Watchtower Society, which later became the uh, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and you know they thought that 1916 was the prediction of the apocalypse. I can't say they're wrong. I mean, that was a pretty devastating war. And then before that, you so got 1816, which depression? is where I think <laughs> right now the real mud flood first occurred. I'm settling on this date. Uh, um, what about the depression? We're definitely in a depression economically right now. Yeah. Uh, so Roman mentioned like a flood that maybe caused a mud flood. You talk about- Dendritic uh, scarring. Uh, damn it. Uh, uh, what's the uh, electric, like electric universe. Dendritic. And how, yeah. The, and uh, what is, how do you say Dendritic scarring, yeah, patterns. dendritic scarring, and, and it being caused from something else going on, and then right. there's a third one that's liquefaction, yeah. and this so is kind of, people, of a new story that's gaining a little bit of yeah. People, uh, people are wondering if liquefaction caused the mud flood. The first thing that it, that you have to rule out is liquefaction tilts almost everything: tilts cars, uh -huh. tilts buildings. You get Tower of Pisa kind of thing mm. in the end. And the mud flood, okay. every building all right, all right. straight I see. up, straight I, I feel down. It. That's okay. one big so factor. bringing up Saturnian or electric okay. universe, Saturnian cosmology, um, I think that there's this crazy tie into understanding the electric universe and that Saturnian cosmology. And I've been watching, uh, you know, rewatching your videos and, and on your website, trying to just gain as much information on this as I can, right? And so my understanding... Uh, and it ties in somewhere. I'm going to try to bring this in and see, see uh, what yeah. you can do to, to help us tie it in. Um, so after the birth of the new of the current sun, the planetary alignment shifted right after um, uh, the, the to end the golden age period. You had Mars that was coming down between Jupiter and then Saturn behind that. What was it called? Right. Oscillating. Oscillating. Yes, that and um, right. and then so the pyramid uh, Mars culture was between uh, slowly Earth faded away as the planets went into their orbit around the sun, and 
Um, and the connection to the cosmos from earth was, was disorganized and it lost its right. like gumption or power. And it's so, it's so interesting. And then there, I, I wanted to see if right. you uh, believe in Agartha or the inner earth. And if, do you think that during that period that they had to go underneath and, or the pale, uh, to go underneath to survive. Um, and then that was part of like some other flood situation or some sort of like the Martian disconnection or something along those lines if that made any sense. Yeah. Hollow earth is another just huge topic all in itself, but I don't know if the hollow earth is all that old considering the earth isn't that old. It seems that the earth grew at one point and that's the expanding earth theory where all the continents sort of fit together. And it just makes perfect sense. You know, if you really think about it um, when the earth grew all of a sudden, then it, it grew a hole in the, in the middle as well. A bunch of layers, actually as many as, seven layers in one theory and, and usually three concentric circle layers inside. So anyway, the point is that these locations formed rapidly, cataclysmically. They're not necessarily the greatest place to live. Maybe they are today. So I don't know how long they've been inhabited. I think that they've just been kept secret for maybe a thousand years, no more than that. And every continent has their own version of the entrance into the underworld. They have their own stories and sometimes they say there's like palaces they built down there, like in India. They say they got palaces down there. So it didn't really play a part in our history, but it does seem to me that Atlantis did fall into the earth. And that's the destruction of Atlantis. It wasn't just destroyed, but it fell into the earth. And if Atlantis was on Mars, <laughs> then it fell into that planet and is inside that earth. So it's just hypothetical. We don't know Oof, anything about that yet. Yeah, those just flying a lot of theories there, but... um. But that's where Hollow Earth would come into play when the fall of Atlantis basically went into the ground, into the Earth, and you start having these caverns and and hidden artifacts and ancient, you know, temples and stuff that are literally inside the Earth. Uh, Agartha oh. phonetically is the same as Asgard, right? By the way, I don't think it was called Asgard. I think Asgard was um, was where Mars was. Okay. Uh, the whole the whole north side of Mars, the highest place you could stand during the golden that's age, interesting. The wow, configuration. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's because there's Excellent. the the point on the north side, Asgard. What would be the south point of Mars? Like where would they stand over there? And did, and what was there a name for it in the south? Yeah. So yeah, um, in the Colonial configuration, basically Mars was the highest rock planet that they could see. Above that, you got Venus, which cannot stand on, and then Saturn and Jupiter, gas giants. So on the north side of of Mars. You had this perfect condition. It was conducting low freak, low voltage, high amplitude energy coursing through it, through the north side. And yet on the south side of Mars, you had a very different environment. It was cold. It was dark. Um, and I believe it was called uh, Jodenheim. And it was the land of the frost giants. These are giant humans who could stand the, the temperatures. They're they white giants from the south side of Mars. And you would actually find black giants on the south side of Earth uh, where Mercury was was um just below it's like a polar it's like polar opposites then huh it's, it's yeah, like i haven't spoken about mars this stuff in a while like so a, i'm sort of it's like mars scattered. is like almost like a mirror of earth i think that mars was formed out of the earth um and so was mercury um earth was Ooh. one giant blob and, and as the collinear configuration was stretching that energy into a straight line it was literally pulling matter up and down creating mars creating mercury these plants are not complete they're not like fully functioning can say that they have weird balances of water and air. They're incomplete planets more or less Mm -hmm. when compared to earth. Uh, In the Sumerian cosmology, 
they say that Tiamat was the planet Earth, and then that planet X or the 10th planet Marduk hit Earth and split it in two, and then that's how we get the asteroid belt, and then the, the remnants of Tiamat became Earth, and it pushed Mars out of its orbit, and it lost its atmosphere. Uh, I don't recall that it said anything about Venus or Mercury in there, but uh, that's kind of the, that's the Zachariah Sitchin Sumeria take. Right. One interesting thing about Mars in the depictions, um, in, in the coins and stuff that you see, you see uh, that Mars constantly creates this cone shape. In Egyptian, you know, in helmets, you got the cone. Mm. In the beard, you got the cone. Um, where is that cone coming from? It's like all this material. Mm-hmm. So Mars had an entire outer shell with it. Remember, like I said, plants are layered. Mm-hmm. Um, Mars, uh, what, we're see- the, what we're seeing today is the inner layer. And what it had back then was an outer layer that was constantly breaking apart, reforming, breaking apart. And this outer layer, when the collinear configuration came apart, outer layer could not be maintained anymore, and it scattered into the asteroid belt. If you look at the asteroid belt today, you'll see that mm. it's nothing like they show in Star Wars. That's actually very tiny bits of rock. And if you were to stand on one asteroid in our asteroid belt, you would not be able to see any of the other ones. They're just too far away. They're too small. Mm. So we're talking so, about a very uh, small amount the, of rocks. Sa- and the, like the Saturnian the cosmology, as hmm. the as the 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 configuration started to send the planets into their what we see now as their orbit or what we understand as their orbit now do you, and their distance away from the sun that changed their state of matter right so like they were like more solid now and they go to gaseous or they were gas giants back then and then they're starting to find like that jupiter has like a harder shell now or what's the what's the changing of the uh, the the state of matter on these planets as they go into their orbit well, I'm convinced that Venus was always a gas planet and never had any hmm. rock, still doesn't. I know that, that they had probes land on there and stuff, but I don't <laughs> think there's any rock there. I think, um, you know, Earth is the second rock from the sun, not the third. Um, I don't think I'll find any rock in Jupiter or Saturn either. In fact, Saturn is very light density. Everyone knows that. Saturn has less density than water. So you're not going to find much um, ratio for any kind of rock there. Um, so what's really going on here? Um, not gravity. Just forget about gravity. That They, they wanted to make us believe that gravity mm. was the only defining force in the universe. But in fact, it's electromagnetism. And in electromagnetism, the, the basis of Saturnian cosmology, each planet has its own electromagnetic field. In, in the early um, collinear configuration golden age, it didn't need a strong field. It had a weak field, and it shared a giant field between all of the planets, a giant conducting uh, force, uh, energy coming from the sun and, and out. Um, and then when the plants spread apart, they all were forced to create their own strong mm-hmm. electromagnetic fields. No different from a life form having to create an immune system. It takes a long time and you have to expose it before it ever figures out what to do. Um, in this exposing time, the Earth got hit by harder gravity. Our gravity increased and, and it went to what it is today. It was probably a lot less. It's probably half as much or a third as much gravity as we're experiencing today. And that's due to a much weaker and smaller electromagnetic field pushing down on, on it. Since, since we're talking about uh, cosmologies and such, uh, yeah. when I was speaking with Benjamin Balderson, he, he gave me like a, a, a different perspective on, on what he thinks. Uh, I drew a little diagram. Uh, Let's see. Can you see that right there? Yeah. So it's a, it's a circle in a circle, but what happens is, uh, these two different planetary bodies collided 
and now we live in the Vesica Pisces region. And one one of these planets was ice, and one was fire. And and so because the fire circle is around, then uh, hell is below and fire, and ice is above, and that's why we have mountains that have ice on them. Because kind of in the way alchemy works, it's actually the opposite of this. And and so it, it the way he describes it is really interesting. I'm novice. I, it was the first time I really you know heard yeah. it so it's hard for me to describe but it's a it's a pretty interesting take on it also yeah alchemy plays heavily into origin story um i think you can see certain alchemic things like uh in the sky at the time uh, for example mercury was mm. literally the planet of molten lead and that lead would hit earth it would fall to the earth and they would see this this molten lead freeze and create crazy structures in the ground um, and on the north side of the planet, you had Mars, and Mars had sulfur. It was totally different nature, uh, due to the temperature, the the voltage, the amplitude. All of those things added up to the alchemy of a different matter, uh, which ended up being sulfur and um, and phosphorus. And uh, <clears throat> and so when you combine mercury and phosphorus today, you basically create gold. You get red phosphorus for gold and white phosphorus for silver. This is known as a philosopher's stone. And during these primordial times, the philosophers of the time, mm-hmm. they didn't have secret knowledge. The knowledge was literally being given to them by their environment. That's that's how, you know, that's how active it was. I believe the same thing you can see in electric scarring um, across mountains in the west coast of America. The mountains are colored. They have weird shapes. They change colors and and uh, it's not due to sedimentary layers. It's due to differing, differing, ching, it's our differing voltage heat and the types of conditions alchemic conditions that convert yeah. one type of matter it's, over it's into seemingly another, like the most uh you know one, one of the baseline understandings that you need to to have a grasp on when you're trying to put these bigger pictures and pieces together and anything on a on a fractal level and on a and on a, on a macro level um because you know, like within your body you can use alchemy obviously um within right. the atmosphere and then looking at the cosmology, alchemical cosmologies, it's crazy. It's, it's beautiful. And I, um, it's, it's so deep. There's so much to get into. Um, how, so I want to, I want to ask you, how does the, uh, the electric universe or the understanding of that type of esoteric, you know, we'll call it esoteric because it's not mainstream, I guess, um, for lack of a better term there. Um, but how does it tie into today's society and where we're going? Um, you know, a, a tad conspiratorial like this, 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 this new world order that we have, because I'm pretty sure I have a sneaking suspicion that, um, Elon Trusk, Elon Musk, this motherfucker, who's my biggest an enemy in the world at this moment. My girlfriend and me always fight about mm-hmm. this shit. Um, but uh, he, I think, he, you know, his obsession right. with his space and Mars and all these things, I think there's a lot going on there, understanding alchemy, understanding the electric universe. And I think they're addicted to harvesting energy and they have bigger plans and ideas that, that seemingly on society's front, we know nothing about their obsession with energy and, and how they harness electromagnetic energy. What do you think the major goal is of these fucks oh, yeah. that run the world and their addiction to harnessing all the energy and keeping the secrets from us? 
Well, it's very simple. Every last um, system that they create is the purposes for control. It's controlling the future. And that's energy, <laughs> of course. And, you know, if we can prevent us from ever having it, then we'll, we'll be immobile. And they have, you know, we, we, we have, you know, low voltage plugs. We have gas powered and we don't have all of the energy, but they do. Where do they have it? Biggest example would be CERN. CERN is the biggest energy project on this <clears throat> planet. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. And uh, <clears throat> they're essentially harnessing that energy for things they're not telling us about. <clears throat> they're telling us atom smashing. And of course, that whole thing's been put to rest, and yet CERN still operates, and they're still building one that's going to be seven times bigger. So what are they doing with all the energy? It's very simple. If you, um, if you put all that much energy into one location at the same time, you create conditions that are very different from what you're used to. You create quantum wow. entanglement between this point here on Earth and anywhere else that energy flows to. Uh, it can't stop the energy, can't destroy energy, can't contain energy, laws of physics. So it will flow to the nearest location. That location, in my opinion, is going to be the nearest planet in opposition, Mars. Happens every 26 months. So when they turn CERN on, they can travel between. It's, it's that simple. And when they get the bigger CERN, the, the seven times bigger one, they will be able to transport things that are seven times bigger. You know, it's really that simple. That they 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 just want they want to have full access to everything in this planet. Yeah, yeah. Without us right. even knowing that they're here. That's <laughs> the best way of putting it. They want to walk among among us. They want us to put on masks on because they're afraid of our immune system. You know, those Martians do not. They would not survive on Earth. They cannot even stand in the sunlight. They're almost cold blooded humans. And when they come here, they do not want to deal with our you know. Strong immune systems. Um, yeah. What, who do you think built the buildings that are in America? Who are the architects of those buildings? Well, they got the, the Tartarian style, right? Everyone can recognize them now. They look like the White House, right? They got the uh, yeah. the Roman style pillars and stuff right here in America. You can find them in Utah. And those were built by the Roos Horde Empire, which spread okay. the whole planet. They built stuff in India. They built stuff in Asia. Um, no problem. Then in the 19th century, we come if. in with our modern construction. Uh, we got wood and, and stucco and, and sheetrock. And every single one of these buildings does not last. It can be destroyed in the flood, my house in the fire. It, it's, you know, and these old Tatarian buildings cannot burn. They cannot be flooded. They cannot be destroyed. So clearly everything in the last two centuries has been built to be destroyed quickly. We build cities on fault lines. We build cities in flood zones next to nuclear reactors that go. Oh, and then we... So all of a sudden in 2021, we have this guy saying, build back better. And it's like, why? What, what was the plan there? Were they really going to destroy everything just so that they can build it back, just so they can it's, be in charge of it all? Yeah, I think mm, oh, that's pretty much the plan. There's a, there's seemingly oh, like man. all the these things tied together, whether you look you at you know the mud flood, Tartaria, Electric Universe, understanding the real true origin of Earth is is the most important thing. And it came up the other day in a group of people because I try not to talk about this shit to everybody because it just whoosh, over most people's heads, right? Um, but they, they, they're like, well, you're into this shit, right, man? You're into this shit. Let me ask you this. Oh, yeah. Why? What, what does it matter? What does it even matter that any of this, like Earth's mm -hmm. history, like well, how is it going to help us in today's society? And I just, I, I melt, you know, I'm just, I'm like, oh my God, it's the most important thing. Yeah. I have, a, I have a perfect answer for that, actually. It's a perspective of our lives right now. If we live in a planet that's 4.5 billion years old and cannot stand life for very long, if we're all about to go out in some random cataclysm of nature, 
if, if humans are not meant to live more than 60 years and their bodies fall apart, if all of these things yeah. are true, then that represents a belief system that's pretty freaking bleak. If you ask me, if you want to consider that this planet is fresh and new, that nothing ever really dies permanently, that that bodies can come back to life, you know, you can you can reduce your, your you can restore your health, you can get younger again, you can do all this kind of stuff. And guess what? That bastard Elon Musk has been saying stuff like that lately because those guys are all aware of the technology that is used. They keep themselves young with it, of course. They just don't want us to have it create a population concern. For no. Them, so. What is this movie? Like tell me, movie. tell me, it's tell me. It's all about control. Have you seen that movie? Oh, God. Yeah, I did see that movie. <laughs> Terrible acting. It's basically about these aliens that live on another planet, and they're basically yes. harvesting I mean, energy. Something along the, the lines of that. So that they know. can stay young. It's, uh, I, I, I tell people a lot of my <laughs> well, uh, transhumanistic, new, my new transhumanism <laughs> like understanding is that they don't have the consciousness and they don't have the access to this um, collective consciousness. So they have to emulate it with AI and they have to take human AI to do, to get that because they're not human. They are not us. And that's, that's kind of the main goal right now, in my opinion, especially with the, the mesh and the, uh, just, oh, just so much terrible, terrible stuff. Boys. Jeez. Yes. A lot of experiments going on. Uh, about sound tech, uh, you yeah. mentioned that the cannons didn't fire cannonballs; that they were sound cannons. Right? Do you do you have any idea of how these may have worked, or uh, did, were what were they using them for to destroy yes. these castles? Of you can, in some uh, way? Look, yeah, you can look up a video of U.S. Army sound cannon demonstration. You can see these little cannons shooting like an invisible donut of air towards a wall, moving slowly through the air hitting the wall and the entire wow. brick wall comes apart. These are sound cannons. They exist today and the U S army has them. Uh, the question was, did they exist in the 18th century? Um, yeah, I think so. Because, um, even Fimienko points out that certain stories sound eerily modern and recent. The, the taking down of Jericho, yep, the, the castle of Jericho. of Jericho was done with trumpets alone. And it's not the only story from the Bible where trumpets destroyed a, a castle. So these trumpets, um, if you look at these these cannons, some of these cannons in Europe, these these uh, in these museums, you'll see notes on the cannons. You'll see chords, and you'll see actual songs. Sometimes these guys got so deep into the sound technology that they came up with literal chords that, when harmonized together, they are so much more destructive to walls and so forth. So they yeah, got all that stuff down really in the 18th century. <laughs> but yeah, the bigger the bigger clue for the sound cans is that you'll never find. Yeah, you'll never find a good war story where they actually used any cannons. Uh, for example, go to the Civil War, and you'll see that um, soldiers allegedly dra dragged those tiny little cans from the north all the way through their shock and awe campaign in the south. But if you look at the actual skirmishes in the south, you'll see, like in Charleston, that the cannons could not breach the walls of any of the castles. That was the whole problem with the cans. They had to go back to the north and say, these things don't work. And then they built a completely new type of bullets with a with a pointy shell and it spun and looks a lot like a giant bullet. And they brought them all the way back down to Charleston and they took out this this castle. You're telling me that these army these armies tested these weapons in the Civil War? They did not. That was a shock and awe campaign and the soldiers did not know how to use their own cannons. That's how ridiculous that war was. Now, my point is you'll never found a good reference point for people actually using cannonballs ever. Um why do they tell why do they try to tell us that Columbus discovered America? 
Uh, Fimenko insists that the texts show Columbus showing up three centuries later, again in the 18th century, long after uh, people traveled the world and discovered America, mm-hmm. um, in a time when circumventing the earth, circumnavigating the earth, sorry, was very popular and common to do. Um, now, uh, <clears throat> Columbus represented a very specific story, the escaping from Europe from the Inquisition to America. Um, Columbus brought three flotillas, hired you know thousands of people. Um, the Jews funded him. Everyone knows that. And he brought all of these people to America to start a new, um, a new existence of their heretic monotheistic religion. And to those people that came to America, they didn't regard anyone else in America as having been there already. They tell their story as they came there first because they were the first of God's chosen people to reach America. They do not consider the natives to, to be people for that reason. It's very confusing, but um, Columbus story does not represent the discovering <laughs> yeah. of America. He didn't even get to America. He went to, uh, to Columbia. the islands to Columbia, right? Um, <laughs> it represents, it represents the fleeing of the heretics, the monotheistic heretics from just Europe like, you know, to America. That's during it. the rewriting and shaping is. of the current paradigm, history, narrative, whatever you want to call it. It's, you know, he was probably in it tight with, uh, you know, the, the society that was, that was taking care of that. And he, you know, sent his sacrifice there, you know, did his, you know, did his, did his bidding to be, be, be Columbus. And they, they wrote the story as, as he is, but cause we all fucking know that these buildings were all here before. And there was, um, you know, and all came from the, the land bridge over in uh, Russia into Alaska. And yes, there sir. was far, far, far much more connection way before Columbus. And that story is complete bullshit. I feel it in my bones and I go with it. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, yeah, shit. Okay, so um, all mud... F- yeah, all mud... Fl- <laughs> it's true. Yeah, they <laughs> have to worship this guy. All mud flood aside, yeah, go ahead. what do you think... A hundred, like, Just tell us your description of Tartarians, Tartaria, and also why the fuck is it getting so much <clears throat> flood right now? Like so much... Why is it hitting the stream so hard? Oh, I think they've been holding this back for so long. If this would have hit in the 90s, if we had been talking to Russia, but we started up some Russia phobia as soon as the USSR fell, mm-hmm. and we never let up. Our, our media is constantly treating Russians like hackers and, and misinformation agents, and that, but they're right there trying to tell us that they have a second version of the story of history. Now, we can't even get past the slur words. Let me point that out first. Tartar is a, is a term that Westerners use to describe the East. That's why you got tartar sauce and you got tartar, you know, build up in your teeth. They're using these terms because they don't like these terms because they're, they're regarding as bad. Another word that's bad, barbarian. Uh, and they usually regarded um, Africans as barbarians and they called that location barbaria for the longest time. So Tartaria, barbaria, these are terms by Western Europeans for the world maps that they had not explored yet, that they had not Christianized yet. They're sort of slur words. The Rusthorde Empire does not have a name. Because they're so eclectic that they do not believe in a single identity ever. There's no federal government. There's no, you know, Supreme Court or any of that kind of stuff. The the Rusthorde Empire is a very different kind of empire than we're used to. Uh, they um they spread only by knowledge, only by making allies, only by sharing Fucking technology. A. And it was, in my opinion, the best time in human history. About three or four centuries of. Really nice, just oh shit. So, do no you think that Tartaria is definitely that not the name of it, and that's actually a slang, mm-hmm. a slur, slang word all on its own? 
and it, it basically is the Rus Horde, the original Rus Horde Empire. Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Russia, Russia or Rus is about as close as we're going to get. That's the word that they mm-hmm. definitely use for themselves. Beyond that word, I think it's almost like they would tell us, don't want to venture, don't want to insult anyone. You know how, how Russians have a totally different attitude about the world than the rest of us do. And that's, and it's for a reason. They have yeah, a beautiful. I, we need to go down that it. rabbit hole. There's much, opinion. much, much really needed digging on that. And I think there's a lot of smoke to be cleared in the air in the realm of the truth seeking community. The truth seeking, yes. the truth seeking community about Tartaria. And I don't like all this misinformation uh, and misguided bullshit that yeah. is happening all across the streams and these platforms because it's just like with understanding, you know um the stars and and understanding health and nutrition and stuff they we're just getting bombarded with so much misinformation yeah sorry one other big thing i got uh, to answer that question the biggest reason actually why we're getting hit by tataria right now is 2014 when when uh we sort of had a skirmish with russia over crimea birthplace of jesus they basically started responding to us since 2014 by releasing all kinds of stuff that that was more or less forbidden one of those is maps. The Russians have been releasing maps for the last seven years that show all of this ancient Siberian empire of Tataria in great detail. And it's only for yeah. this reason, the last seven years that we're just like, wait a second, what are all these maps now? Like, where did this come from? We literally didn't even see this stuff 10 years ago. It wasn't available yet. How do we know this is accurate information? Oh, yeah. You know, it can totally just... be those Russian hackers again, you know? Oh, my God, trying to espionage <laughs> us and steal our elections and all that. Yeah, totally. That could be that, but you know. But it could be though. <laughs> but but you know, if you if you want to put a gut feeling to I it, mean, I think yeah, I, I mean, I, to find I can, the Easterners I have a different that. version of history. Russia's huge. Russia's massive. To be the case. It's a ginormous place. <sighs> yeah, and it seems to me, it seems to me that Siberia is a place that used to exist and is now destroyed. It's just a big wasteland with with temperature imbalances and giant holes forming in the ground and fire explosions. We don't understand Do you that think location. This is completely yeah. off topic it's and it just flew it's in my destroyed. head. So fuck it. I'm going to say it. Um, do you think the Nazis really tried to flee to sure. Agartha and Antarctica and discover yeah. inner earth? Yes. Yeah, I absolutely do. Uh, they had the ability, they had the knowledge, they had the motive the means they could do it. Now, when they evacuated, they did it for a reason. We were napalming all of Europe at the time. We we're destroying Hundreds of, of cities, yeah, and they yeah. had to evacuate somewhere. So <laughs> did, I would go there. Uh, then and did, would go uh, there too, wouldn't you? <laughs> we all left did did Hitler uh, have Tartarian technology or this ether, ethereal physics, uh, physics, and and like the the information of the old world? And is that why we were trying to get him so hard? Well, as far as I can tell, when the Jesuit plan fell apart, they tried to do the same thing with the German barons. You got these secret societies in Germany, the Vril and the Schul Society. They're the caretakers of all the secret knowledge. And the only real difference was that Hitler in his revolution <laughs> sort of opened up all of that knowledge. He said, okay, you guys are going to share it with us. We're going to build some UFOs now. And they're like, they, they had to say yes. But um, after, after he went down, you know, um, the Germans didn't, didn't get access to any of that technology anymore. It seemed to be tied off. And a lot of people think that Hitler did not make it into Gartha, did not make it into Brazil. We're not sure about the whole Brazil narrative yet. The, the Russians, again, they have this whole other version. They say they remember when they captured Hitler. They remember killing him. They remember having his bones on display, and they still have his bones today. So, unfortunately, they have a different version of how World War II ended also. And it seems to me that 
Hitler was way too compromised to possibly to have escaped. He was raised in that deep state garden, just like Napoleon, just like everyone else. And the only thing that makes Hitler any different was that like Napoleon, he turned on the plan. He he joined with the people and turned against the people that created him. He's not unique. There's so many people like that in our history. So, so (laughs) he was working with the Jews and then decided to turn on them. Is that well, what you're saying? Uh, I would say that communists, the best way of putting the, the bad people of the time spreading all over Europe. And yeah, they sort of created him to be a sort of puppet aristocracy. They did that with every country, every location. We all experienced the same plan. And now and again, the anomaly occurred. Anomaly, as described in the Matrix, is simply that one person where it just ruins the whole plan for some reason. He's too close to it. He's too center. And that doesn't always happen. Most countries, you know, you got pretty stable wow. aristocracy, That's but su- in it's France super and Germany, interesting because there's, there's a lot of like weird little ties to um, World War II or the the um, the SS into Tartaria and that this whole like kind of paradigm is like, okay, they're looking for, you know, the Aryan nation, right? The Aryan nation, the Tartarian nation. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, let me get to that. Right. That's the whole problem with the Germans was they came out of nowhere. That's why they called German to so germinating in 19th century. They basically didn't exist before then. It was very, um, you know, scattered villages, no towns or cities yet. And so when those Germans showed up, they had the same Western the European problem. They had no identity aside from the, the victimhood of that Eastern Empire Inquisition that had been invading them for so many years. So when um, Hitler rose to power, he determined that the Germans have to find their own identity and they have to trace it back to the origin story of Earth. They sailed on North myth- Norse mythology, which frankly is is very rich and and reliable. You got Just us as here, reliable man. as any we, other. We, we're done with that. Has has pretty much the same stories. Um, <sighs> yeah, well, so much. A lot of Tartaria too talks about uh, technology, uh, flying technology. Right. Uh, we talked about like the 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 real technology, but in uh, in. In like the Indian culture um, in the Middle East, they had the Vimanas. Uh, do you think that like in Tartaria that they did actually have some type of flying ships? Or I know or there's Santa a lot Claus of talk of about like Zeppelins or right. uh, balloon type things like that or something like airships. that. Airships. Yeah, this is yeah. straight up airships. Uh, uh, just like in Final Fantasy, you know, I love those games. Uh, we got these ships that look like boats and they have these giant fans on top of them and they fly in the air. We got paintings of them. We got all kinds of references to airships having existed every kind and shape you can imagine because there's no limit to the technology. It's pretty pretty simple and straightforward to build. Always has been, still is today. It is simply just a suppressed technology. Hmm. Uh, flat earthers would tie that to NASA sucking up all the helium and using uh, helium for something, uh, possibly like airships or something that they're flying around, or for their satellites or whatnot. Do you give? What do you think about that? Any credence there? Well, um, the, the flat Earth theory has to come up with a lot of explanations to explain the physics that we're seeing. I think that'd be quite an undertaking to get rid of all the helium in the atmosphere, and they don't need to. You know, like I said, we're just talking about a suppressed technology, something that's easy to build. Um, take any airplane in the sky right now, except for those stunt jets. Um, take any jumbo jet plane. I guarantee mm-hmm. you these planes have 
anti-gravity technology in them. They're not just flying from aerodynamics. Yeah, they have the something in them that keeps them from crashing ever. They can fly without engines. Yeah. So they, they still, technology still it's exists. Beautiful. Uh, it's right, it's, it's probably really simple uh, and it's, and, and, it's and really cheap. And that's mm-hmm. uh, the main reason why it's being suppressed. <laughs> not because it's not cool and everyone should have one. It's just, it would just be never break down and never crash. Yes. And there would be no reason for insurance and and gas and all the fucking bullshit that's constantly stressing everybody out with Jesus. But <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah, all the usury. And you got you got water engines and you got ether engines. Of course, they're not going to let Absol- these things absolutely. Exist and that's another reason why I try the, to explain to people the, uh, on a very simple basis as overnight. to why not look up mm-hmm. to somebody like Elon Musk because everybody who ever created anything that was alternative before got sh- fucking knocked out real quick. Uh, the water engine, you know, all these things. It's just use use your brain, people. Um, anyways, I don't I want to go down yes. that rabbit hole, but I do want to ask you about the moon. Okay, so where does the moon tie into the um, the configuration um, yeah. of the golden age period? And does is the moon the reason that the golden age period got disrupted? Well, um, there was no moon in the collinear configuration, and some uh, some literatures that I've read suggest that the moon was captured. Um, after more or less the cataclysms were dying down and wasn't always there that our moon was captured by earth during the time when the plants were starting to find their own orbits, when they're starting to spread out and why? Because the moon electromagnetic object simply adheres to the closest larger objects around and every planet has moons. Saturn has like 20 or 30 or maybe even hundreds depending on how you qualify them. Um, and moons are not orbiting plants. They are different. The, the one big uh, th- clue about our moon that you can just look at is that it never turns away from us. The, the front-facing near side is always facing Earth, is locked in position with Earth. This is not Newtonian physics. This is electromagnetic binding. The moon is bound to Earth and cannot rotate away. In other words, it's stuck to our electromagnetic field. Uh, for that reason, I believe that the moon is actually close and small. It's not 226,000 miles away i think that's the number it's more like uh, three thousand miles away and, and much smaller uh, and, and within the, our uh, alchemical that's like under cosmology understanding it's like that the earth or the moon is the cathode um and it uh, releases a bunch of energy every full moon and it slowly takes that cycle to build up uh and that's absolutely you're right <laughs> you're right you got this phrase right yeah. once in a blue moon you ever heard that once in a blue moon and you got red what, moons what too causes that? the moon changes color sometimes it's white, sometimes it's red sometimes it's blue you get the same thing from an led an led a little you know a little led that changes color right that you can buy for a cent it changes color based on its voltage right so the voltage literally passing through the moon and reaching earth changes its color the moon is lit from within um you, you know if you really dig deep. You can find a lot of people that believe that moonlight and sunlight are not the same thing. You can see this reference in that show, The Office. It, it was said on that show. I love it. Uh, the moonlight is not the same thing as sunlight. It's different. It's coming from within the moon. And that energy is coming from the energy passing through the moon into the earth. And usually it's white because it's full full um, uh, current. And when that current dies down and the voltage reduces, once wow. in a blue moon, you see a blue moon. <laughs> I had I had this like thought that um you know I always like it was a very fantastical thought, but that the moon was basically um thrown into our orbit to to 
in the golden age to kind of mess up the the axis um, or to throw off our electrical, you know, um, way of being. I'm not, I'm not really sure how to verb that, but I just kind of visualize that in my head. Yeah. Is what? Okay. What's up with that? And I've heard that one. Yeah, I've heard that theory actually. I've heard that the, the moon is. I've heard the moon's an artificial, you know, satellite created to control us. Blah blah. But I'll tell you what, we would be much more uncomfortable on okay. this planet if we didn't have a moon. It really balances out the heat that the Earth receives and gives us a lot of a lot of balanced energy from the other side. Another thing to remember about the moon is that it experiences 15 days of direct sunlight. That other side, the the light side of the moon, is scorching. You cannot stand on it, and there certainly was no Apollo mission during standing sunlight in the moon. That, you're talking like you're talk, okay, that movie um, Chronicles mm-hmm. of Riddick. That's what it's like. Makes sense. You basically, got a planet that's being constantly scorched on one side. Hmm. <laughs> and on the dark side of the moon, we've got some interesting theories. We have some redacted stories. H.G. Well redacted the journey to the moon, and that book says so many interesting things about the moon that I want to find out if they're true or not someday. Whether or not <clears throat> there's there was inhabitants up there, whether or not there's forests up there. Wow. Giant forests on the dark side of the moon well, that grow every 15 days. If that's true, there would be a lot of soil, right? There'd that's be a lot of uh, amazing lot shit. Of ash, I, I want to compost. find out if that's true someday. Potentially. Cool. Oh, yeah. And if you went there, you'd see <laughs> you see a lot more than they found in the Apollo uh, missions. You see a lot more than a stage set. <laughs> um. So I, I'm trying to like run through the tartaria story in my head from your viewpoint so um let me try to get this straight so the roos horde empire kind of spread out all over america uh also other lands also china the whole planet it was a world planet okay so and the spanish was the extent of the end of their empire where the people tended to get on boats and span the world Mm -hmm. i believe that the term spanish comes directly from the term spanning and they were okay. the first people to span the world. And so the Tartarians is a, a derogatory word for the Rus horde. And they're the ones that built um, these uh, this architecture that's in America. Who are the ones that came to try to destroy that? Um, well, um, you got two references for destroying those. Uh, one is the Kremlin that was burned in the 1812 war. And the other one was the White House that was burned in the 1812 war in America. And it's interesting that the American, that the British would want to burn down the White House when it was central to their system of control they're trying to establish as the federal government here in America. So that story doesn't really add up. Uh, Something else does, though. And that is that the Jesuits um, apparently hated all these locations. And when the French Jesuits started showing up in, in America and in the in in Siberia, I believe that they destroyed those buildings because those buildings were heretical to them. Those buildings were constructed in opposition to their belief system. It's, it's as simple as I can make it because I really don't know. I, I think um, the destruction of the White House, the original destruction, is a big mystery. has has to be solved with a lot more facts and details. All right. So the Jesuits kind of infiltrated America. And sort of took over all these buildings and turned them into churches. They knocked uh, down the symbols of that Rusort Empire that they were resisting, and they said, "We're in charge now." So they would knock down any symbol that 
That, my favorite one better, I found you know, that's, that's really close that by is the Napa Insane Asylum, which is now uh, labeled as the Department of State Hospital in Napa, and it's only two hours away, and I'm going to go soon. It's huge. It's massive. <laughs> um, it's got spears, you know, pointing up, classic Tartarian architecture, and... Um, the fact that it's used as a hospital is really interesting, meaning especially when it was a, in a, wow. a sane asylum, you could imagine the amount of energy that was there being used to do um, different types of just fucking terrible things to these people that they were calling crazy who were probably, you know, remnants of <clears throat> uh, any, you know, Roos horde or opposite believing type of humans with a free thinking <laughs> intuition. Uh, do you oh, think yeah. that possibly when the Jesuits came to America and destroyed some of these buildings because they were uh, electromagnetically charged that when they tried to destroy them with uh, whatever kind of technology they had or whatever, that they they caused some type of uh, electromagnetic malfunction to cause the mud flood? No, I believe the mud flood was a result of a directed energy attack from Mars. A huge okay. laser built on Mars and, and deliberate, very deliberate. And who's the one that controlled the laser from Mars? Um, I believe after the 1812 war, when Napoleon ruined their control of Earth, they had basically until the next opposition to decide how to respond. And they spent the next 26 months building that huge laser. And around 2016, I think, or sorry, 1816, I believe. They used it on Earth. They just targeted everyone that Napoleon had allied with. Anything that would become a threat, carved um, islands out and made sure no one could ever live on them again, and then reset society. They had to do this correctly, and they had to do this one time. They could never do this again later. And frankly, I don't think they did it correctly. I think they did it in desperation. Mm. They left so much evidence behind. It's all mm. here for us to kind of sift through. Who's the who or Martians. Who's, who's the they? Humans on Mars. Okay. Breakaway human civilization on Mars that shares our yes. So is Elon and Bezos trying to go back up there to their home planet? Oh, you know those guys are connected. It's very some. It's probably a, a family nepotistic sort of uh, connection. When you, that say, they have. when you say the you term know, uh, relative uh, history repeats itself, kind of it's almost like this this thing that everyone can just kind of laugh about. But it's you know this maybe Martian overlord type of mind control to say, yeah, history repeats itself. So just wait for our next time when we fucking scorch you guys and completely overrule everything that you think you have within your life. <laughs> well, it seems like they can't do that again. It's sort of like the Matrix, where in the six, fifth iteration, sixth iteration, they are, they're just going to give up after that. They can't continue. They don't know how to do it anymore. So, the point is, these guys um, they had one shot to get this right, and and they the idea was they threw a bunch of strategies in place to keep it in play. One of them is to repeat history, like you just said. How do you repeat history? Well, you can't. You learn from history, and you never repeat your mistakes. So, to force people to repeat history is to erase all of their history so that they don't know what's going to happen. And in 1816, after they took over the planet, they, they basically had a roadmap for, for winning a war, taking over, and maintaining control. In 1916, they repeated this pattern. They started a war, World War. They, they re restored society after it. Uh, the plans went bad in World War II, and they had to defeat Hitler, but the plans continued anyway. And mm -hmm. now in 2016... Yeah. We were basically about to go into World War III. We were really right there at the edge, and and somebody saw those plans and completely 
um, you know, they co-opted the plans. They have been turned on themselves for sure. I've been seeing so much of that. Trump himself is just a tiny, tiny example of people just doing everything they can to reverse this plan, make sure we do not go to war and do not do any of those things. And, and that's because we are aware of our history. We're not going to repeat it. We're not going to go into that whole cycle again where they know the outcome of the next hundred years. We're just not going to do it this time. Um, so we started off with uh, Anatoly Fomenko. Yeah. Fomenko. Uh, where was I going with that? Um, so when he's talking about these missing years, is it actually a missing thousand years or is it a smaller smaller amount of years, but he's just saying a thousand? Um, he's saying uh, last thousand years are um, the real history. It's actually 900 years. We haven't even gotten to a thousand yet. Okay. And uh, the thousand, the 11 centuries before that, all the way up until the 11th century is fake. It's called the phantom time hypothesis. Um, Because the interesting thing is, is we talked to Navier and she's an astrologist and she said that we're still technically uh, based on sidereal astrology, that we're still in the age of Pisces for another 780 years. Right. So astrology believes that the sun um, moves on the, uh, on the ellipse, on the eclipse, I forgot the term, every uh, 2,000, 26,000 years or something like that, it drifts on the ellipsis. That's what it is. And as a result of that, that the ancients could track um, time over long periods of time by, by seeing the drift of, of the sun over the um, astrological axis. Um, if you look at that theory, you'll find that a lot of people believe the sun does not drift over the astrological axis at all, and that we cannot count on it being constant for the last 26,000 years. And that, frankly, if you add in Saturnian cosmology, you'll see that our Earth's orbit, sun uh, orbit, has never been constant. That the, the length of the year changed many times, actually. It started as short as 225 days long. And in that kind of reality, we have to accept that there, you could not have a constant astrology. You have the astrology is constantly shifting and, and speeding up, or sorry, slowing down until we got to the current speed that we're at now. So where does this religion of astrology come from? This, I believe, is the religion of Mars. They believe in science. They do not believe in deities. They believe in calendars. They believe in schedules. They believe in misery <laughs> and money and, and, and knowing your place in a communist society. And it is their religion, the astrological religion, of the banks, of the of the, you know, of the debt and all of that, that they fooled us into believing is a new oh, age yeah. religion. That's it's not. But astrology. there's that side of it, it's and then there's the this <clears throat> mystical side that's being brought down to the common people that they're connected to astrology because it gives them significance and um, allows them to have these special characteristics, you know, and and so that's, yeah. So what's up with that? Based on your birth birth month, right? So I don't deny that that birth month thing. Yeah, there seems to be a real phenomenon with that. I mean, even my aunt pointed out Are you when Libra? I was a kid that I had certain traits just because I was born in nice. October. So I don't doubt that at all. But just because that is – that yes, you, you guessed it. Well, I guess you know because I over it. Um, the point is um, certainly that stuff is true, but that doesn't necessarily prove – that the astro astrological calendar is what it is. You know? Yeah, that's, that's interesting awesome. because it I would make sense and tie into um, <laughs> and tie into the fact that we have to keep changing and keep getting lied to and keep erasing because the more they contort time and contort the control, the the less than we understand about the real length of the year, the real understanding of the cosmos, and 
whenever this period ends or like that's another thing too is like why are we moving into this new flood this psychological the psychic flood right is there uh something coming is it just to shift markets and to gain control because of yeah. population or what have you or is there do you think there's like a a, a sort of like event coming to yeah what, what what do you think this is uh the the rush is for nefarious i think this is really this is really simply a series of systems of control built over a long period of time there are more of them now than there ever has been it's beyond surveillance and it has to do with like you keep saying energy uh monitoring <laughs> our energy levels sort of rewarding us with good feelings when we do what they want us to do and and they want to get to the point where if we're sitting on our computer typing in you know stuff they don't want us to type that we'll start to feel bad and we'll actually feel like oh, we shouldn't do it anymore. You know, they're trying to, to get that. to that level of, right. You have of, to be, uh, you have control. to be imp- uh, injected. And, um, it's, yeah, now, now you're getting into, right. Now you're, now you're getting into the house, the means. Yes. They have Holy to have shit. Mass vaccination campaign first for it to work. Who, who, who do you think the players are in, in kind of the takeover of earth? Because uh, you mentioned the Martians, uh, there's Jesuits. Uh, who else are some of the the players? Are are they all fighting for the Earth? Or are some of them working together? What's well, your- you got you got a bunch of religious societies here on Earth. They're all identical. Like like the Indian religious societies are identical to Islam and identical to Christianity in the way that they they they, they raise their families and they they spend money. It's all the same. So these guys, they all believe that there's they're following orders of an invisible creator God that created the universe and also earth has been meddling in earth affairs and has been telling them what to do their whole lives. And as a result, they've been benefiting from it. Now I say that's very simple, simply possible that they are being misled by humans on Mars playing God, simulating whatever they need to and affecting their lives, getting involved in all the kind of stuff, but that they're just humans. And that the only reason that anyone went along with this this whole time is because they really fell for that narrative that the ones in charge of our lives are the God and the devil, you know, the good and the evil, uh, you know, the conceptual um, versions of what's happening to us rather than the actual versions. And it makes people not want to find the evil in their world. They say, well, it's all God's will. So um, I say, this is the problem that these guys, these rich aristocracies were set up to, to take orders from this invisible deity. And that deity is giving him marching orders all the time. It's saying, prepare for this, prepare for that. It's, putting, it's telling him to put encrypted, you know, predictive programming into media to, to notify each other of coming events, um, all kinds of systems. It's their boss. That, it's their boss and they're they going to work. Place, that's their, that's their, uh, their, their title and their job. Yeah, eh? yeah, where to go with this. Right. But, but right. But okay, yeah, that's my point. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's not really the God of the devil. It's just a bunch of humans on Mars that are, are playing this trick. And what they need, they need the resources to keep coming. And the problem is, if this plan ever fails, they're going to have a revolution on that planet. They're going to say, we tried it your way, Mr. Giant Laser and Mud Flood Reset. Last 200 years was a plan that should have worked and should have resulted in full total control of Earth. And if that plan did not work, then it's winner takes all. It's they either... They got it or they didn't. And I'm, I'm saying pretty you, much from this point, it looks like they failed. 
Looks like they didn't pull it off. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Talking. Do you think the true yeah, these plans um, were so Earth, devious, uh, and serious the, that the people who um, are control of Earth and are trying to protect Earth maybe do live in Agartha and are on the inside of the Earth and they're not exposed on the outside, getting controlled by the Martians? Uh, we're kind of like the middle ground between the people ruling, uh, you know, trying to protect the actual essence of Earth, and then I, because I just, I, I that, that's fun to play with right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real nice thought, isn't it? And I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be true. Um, I think that if any of those guys try to contact us, they get punished so heavily. If they contact people on the other side, you know, in our society, then they will just punish us, you know, in order to t- show them that they can't do it. They'll play any <laughs> trick they need to That's to force true. those guys to never communicate <laughs> with us and then make us believe that they don't exist. Uh, other example of this is in that Thailand. In Thailand, they had that cave rescue that international story of the guy, guy who took a bunch of kids into the caves and met these other societies that live down there. They had to cover that whole story up and say that, you know, it was a flood and they ran out of oxygen and the, and the diver died. And, and then Elon Bobby. Musk of all people insulted him. Um, they were covering up a first contact situation mm. there in Thailand. How often does first contact happen on this planet? Probably all the time. And every time it happens, they cover it up. That's the whole problem. So if you're waiting for that moment, when we finally talk to the Germans of Agartha the or Grays. the, the, the miniature human, you know, fairies of, of Northern Ireland or something like that is going to be the, when, right. It's going to be when we've stopped dealing with censorship because the, that's, that's it. Just, they censor oh, every last that's a good one. Story on, on this. The green children of Woolpit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They came up from the underground. Uh, do you think that the Martian overlords on, on Mars are, is, is it just like a small group of them controlling what's going on on earth? Or, or is there like a whole full civilization up there and then uh, the rest of the people aren't aware or, you know, kind of in the dark like the rest of us here on Earth? Totally. And, and nearly, uh, yeah. is, there, is there like overlords of Earth that are trying to control shit that's going on on Mars? <laughs> like uh, opposite, the opposite, you know? I think everything flows in one direction usually. Um, in I the think. early 19th century, we had all this Mars literature come out. And uh, in the 19th century, too, they said... There are humans on Mars. They visit Earth sometimes. And then in the 19th and 20th century, suddenly all of those books were, were moved into a new category called science fiction. And for some reason, we think that all of those books are fake, but I don't think they are. It's, I think a lot of those books are detailed descriptions of civilizations that lived on Mars. You got different societies. They, they're different colors and different characters. Like, again, big people, small people, oh, green shit. people, black people. And they got metal people. You got the artificial ones that have augmented a lot of their, you know, and they live in, in giant machines and they have machines do everything for them all the time. This is hmm. covered in detail in War of the Worlds. It's just oh, they're not yeah. they're not brains or not squids, they're just normal humans. They just use technology too much. And it's in my opinion that those technology humans, the so-called metal humans or whatever they call themselves, went too far when they decided in that in the last thousand years to use that technology to subjugate Earth. They obviously had a choice somewhere in the timeline to share all this technology to keep it free and they chose to suppress it. So whoever that group of people is, they took what over do you... everyone on Mars too. And then oh, they took shit. over everyone on Earth. <laughs> it's heavy. It's the only Mic way drop. this works. Uh, what Social do you feel about uh, plant spermia? Is that a possibility or have we ever like, there's, you know, genetic ooze or what have you that's been discovered on rocks floating in the orbit. Is that real? Uh, is there, could there potentially like, what, what, what do you think about the, all the different races and like these, 
you know, is it all humans that move to different places, use these technologies, or they implemented genetic uh, changes and um, <clears throat> splits or what have you? Well, I only think there's yeah. one species of humans, and the closest things we have after that are animals. We don't have anything else. Um, the humans might differ greatly. Like I said, you might have <laughs> cold-blooded humans with scaly skin, and they just you know call them lizard people, but they're actually humans inside. You know, they're not lizards; they're just cold-blooded, maybe. So, uh, yeah, I, I do believe that you got all kinds of spread, but you don't have. I don't. I don't think you're going to find much truth in genetic testing or any of that. You got mutants. Mutants are a sort of. Um, experimented on life form, someone that takes too much adrenochrome or, or, or does something like that. And their body changes. Literally you got this, the, uh, you got, uh, skin, uh, walkers in Arizona, the skinwalker myths. These are coyotes that can stand up on their hind legs and they try to break into your car and kill you. You know, this is what happens to coyotes when they eat, they eat blood too much. They change their bodies, get big. And, and, you know, it's just, there's all kinds of, uh, truth to that, the whole werewolf thing. So uh, I do believe that. I believe you'll find almost any kind of creature out there, but you can narrow them down into various. Do you think that species. Martians have the Mostly type of technology to hybridize, and that they work specifically on like changing genetics in humans? And because uh, it seems like there's a there's a pretty general theme out there <clears throat> about you know hybridization and um, being able to work on genetic manipulation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Alien control. Yeah, but right. You gotta look at the. You gotta look at the goal. What is what is the goal of all this? The only thing I can imagine is that they want to live here on Earth without experiencing disease and stuff. Um, part of that mm. is to absorb our immune system themselves and to weaken the immune systems that they'll discover here. So genetically, there is a big difference in immune systems between the types of blood. Uh, you know, O and all that. Different types of blood tend to have different strength of immunity. This isn't, you know, covered much in science, but it is true. And there's a lot of proof that certain blood types are completely resistant to SARS and so forth. And is that, that is the experimentation that we're talking about. They're trying to figure out how they can survive us and, and we don't become an immunity threat to them. If they can get rid of all of the humans of a certain blood type or replace them with another type, they can accomplish this. If they can yeah. reduce us, our immune systems using vaccines, they accomplish this. My guess is they're trying every strategy they have and it's just, you can sum it all up to genetic experimentation, but it's only for the purposes. Yeah. Of, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, I definitely have an immunity to SARS. I've never, I've been in so much Nothing direct contact with people supposedly with this, you know, put insert word here and uh and i'm just I have nothing uh but it's right. crazy because you know like i've been looking into the graphene and what elon musk talks about what he wants to do with Neuralink and stuff and he basically said and sl may have slipped it when one interview right. was like yeah you, oh you don't have to have Neuralink in your brain you don't yeah. have to cut someone's head open and put this on there you can actually enter it through their veins and arteries through graphene <laughs> and so it's like that seems martian as fuck to me that's right. That's right. So yeah, if you if you got the oh, it really does. And if you took one of these vaccines in the future, you might be able to you know, identify by by touching or just walking through a door. And maybe it won't be so bad. But I'm certainly not going to do it. And they shouldn't. They should have told people what was in these vaccines before they, you know, forced them to use it. It has nothing to do with SARS. And it has everything to do with this. Yeah, like you said, Elon Musk weird future. So you think that the reason for the vaccine is so that they can. Uh, Utterly control us. Utterly. Utter, yeah. But I mean, they could have EMP a remote control in their pocket where they press a button and we just fall on the ground. It's that kind of shit. It's no fun. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, 
I recently saw a video of a lot of people that were playing sports and stuff. What? Uh, just collapsing and falling down and dying. Yeah. Uh, some basketball players, uh, football players. That's right. Uh, a lot of different stuff, and even uh, now, people with the Travis Scott thing are trying are going with the graphene oxide thing, and saying that some of these people that that possibly died at that were uh, uh, it was because of the graphene oxide in yeah. their in their blood. Because and not I- everyone's going to take it. Some people can take anything, and other people the tiniest thing they're allergic to. Yeah, but also I, I was kind of curious too because uh, it seems like uh, a lot of this is happening with physical exertion. Is uh, is it maybe your body's getting too hot and it, it's it's causing uh, an effect or something uh, because they're wanting us to stay in home and not go outside and not do things, and so these people that are going out and doing things are exerting their body. Are well, are, we got we got this excellent. Um Litmus test for this theory at the Astro World's con, uh, whatever concert. Concert, thank you. And uh, we had either in the official story, eight people died, or in the unofficial story, hundreds of people died. In the unofficial right. story, which there are videos of, and you can see people falling on the ground. This location in Texas uh, was sort of a hot spot for five G. It's like a center point uh, for five G. It's a release point. The people in that, um, yeah, in Houston, those people were double vaxxed. They all had to be. You're not allowed in that concert without it. Oh. And it was a hotspot for 5G. So basically, here's your experiment. These are the people that cannot stand yeah. having yeah. that stuff it's, in their it's body. It's basically just a giant sort of testing ground. I mean, it they completely makes sense. We're nothing more than fucking yeah, lab rats in here. Um, we're running. We're almost up to two hours testing. here. And I want to ask you real quick because I don't. I don't know. I was just kind of looking into yeah, that, uh, yeah. some some just weird shit, random shit. And um, sure. I, and you know a lot more about physics than I do. Uh, dark matter. Do you think dark matter is farce and it's it's used as just like a, a <laughs> just a way to just kind of like be like put yeah. that over there in the dark matter section? Yeah, it's real simple. Dark uh, dark matter is the explanation for how Newtonian physics explains our universe because it doesn't. Newtonian physics doesn't add up at all. Gravity doesn't doesn't show how our galaxy can rotate like that. Gravity would work totally different in a simulator and does. So dark matter mm. is the answer to that missing equation. It's saying oh, there is something that holds it all in place, makes it rotate like a giant spiral, even though gravity doesn't allow for this kind of thing. <laughs> and that's because dark matter is conveniently like cheese holding all of the planets in place. Yeah, and they, uh, It's just an answer they that they have to come up with the because they were failing to electric prove universe because we're, it makes complete physics. sense. Yeah. We're just electric, electric magnetic physics. Right, you got electromagnetic simulator of the galaxy and you can create a perfect spiral, no problem. You don't need any extra variables or... Specific special gravity relative all day. So I'm yeah. just trying to do as much research on that as, as I can. Universe. And uh, I, I, I really got into after our last conversation. I really got into Thunderbolts project, and I get notified for every video that comes out. And uh, yeah, they are fucking amazing. They're doing real cool Good. work over there. Yeah. Wall Thornhill, if you ever want to come on the show, let's go, baby. Yeah, dude, he's a badass. Love that guy. And you got to check out Sapphire Project because they're amazing lab testing all this stuff. And they invented something in 2019, you know, free energy uh, engine device by accident. And they had this whole report on it. They're like, we didn't realize we were going to make this kind of free energy fusion device in our lab, <laughs> oh. but we did. Does anyone want to use it? You know, it's crazy. Sapphire Project. Definitely check them out. Hmm. Interesting. 
Uh, well, thank you, Ari, for joining us today. Oh, yeah. And, this uh, was a lot of fun. Talking some Tartaria. Yeah. Uh, very interesting stuff. Um, tell the good people where they can find you. Uh, yeah, please visit paradigmthreat.net, and you can find all my content. I need to update the website. You can also see our link to uh, Discord. Please check out our Discord channel because we've got a lot of people in there, and it's a lot of fun to research all this and talk about it. Excellent, man. Um, oh, nice. Are you still in Arizona also? Yep. (laughs) All right. Excellent, man. All right, man. Well, thanks uh, for coming on. And uh, if you guys, Fire Tribe, if you're not down with that, I got two words for you. Wake up.